0: The Jungle
1: Tonight, the monster winter storm sweeping across the country as we come on the air. States of emergency declared as the storm takes aim across a 2,000-mile stretch from New Mexico to Maine. More than 100 million on alert. Rain, ice, and more than a foot of snow, Al Roker is tracking it. Also tonight, President Biden ordering 3,000 U.S. troops to Eastern Europe amid fears Russia will soon invade Ukraine. Our team is on the Ukrainian border. The stunning announcement from CNN President Jeff Zucker resigning for not disclosing a consensual relationship with a colony how this stemmed from the Chris Cuomo investigation. The four men arrested in connection with the death of actor Michael K. Williams, what they're accused of doing. The explosive lawsuit, of former NFL head coach accusing the league of racism, our one-on-one interview. And the text message from Patriots coach Bill Belichick that he says left him feeling humiliated. A rare glimpse inside the jail being called a humanitarian crisis, Rikers Island, NBC News reviewing 100 hours of surveillance, the shocking images we found. And the eight-year-old author who snuck his handwritten book onto the library shelf and wait until you hear what's happened now. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt Good evening, as we come on the air Nearly a third of Americans More than 100 million are under winter watches, warnings or advisories That ominous swath stretching across the weather maps from New Mexico to Maine It's a very real path of danger tonight Misery and disruption as well Snow and freezing rain already pounding parts of the central U.S. Cities including Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit could see up to a foot of snow. Governors in at least four states have already declared states of emergency. Right now, flight delays are mounting as travel becomes increasingly difficult across the storm zone. Let's get the very latest now, starting with Shaquille Brewster in Detroit.
2: Tonight, a mess of heavy snow, ice, and rain stretching from the Rockies to the northeast. The dangerous wintry mix pounding roadways, snarling traffic, and causing blizzard conditions.
3: You're cold all the time. You're wet. It's just not fun.
2: Parts of New Mexico already buried under 20 inches of snow. More than a foot has fallen in Colorado and Illinois wet heavy snow this is wet heavy stuff yes are you ready for it no in peoria a major highway nearly impassable state police jumping in to help stranded drivers missouri's governor activating the national guard and joining others declaring a state of emergency americans across 26 states feeling the impact including texas where last february's freeze led to a power grid failure more than 200 people died the state now bracing for days of sub freezing temperatures nbc's morgan chesky is in dallas this will be the texas
4: power grid's biggest test since last year's storm left millions of people without any electricity but on streets like this one that went dark for days, the governor says there's still no guarantee there won't be outages, even though the state claims 99% of power generators
1: are ready to go. There could be either ice on power lines that would cause a power line to go down or could be ice on trees.
2: The massive system moving east, where this morning Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. Six more weeks of winter. Predicting a longer winter with more snow.
1: And Shaq in a snowy Detroit now travel, not only difficult for those driving, but also flying. That's right, Lester. Those flight delays
2: are piling up. Around 5,000 flights canceled or delayed today alone,
1: with more than 3,000 already canceled tomorrow. Lester? Shaquille Brewster tonight. Thank you. Let's get right to Al Roker. He's tracking it all. What are you looking at?
5: 105 million people, we're talking, Lester, who are going to be under these winter weather advisories to ice storm warnings right through tomorrow. We're already seeing snow from Chicago, Cleveland, Buffalo, also back down into Texas where we're looking at an icy mix. In fact, anywhere from a tenth of an inch of ice from Dallas all the way back into the northeast of New England, and this is where we could see a lot of power outages and dangerous travel. Snowfall amounts. Joplin, Missouri, 5 to 8 inches of snow. Dallas could pick up 1 to 3 inches. St. Louis, 7 to 13. Chicago, up to 10. Same for Columbus, Ohio. And as we move into the northeast of New England, Bangor, up to a foot. Same for Burlington. Binghamton, picking up about 3 to 6 inches of snow. Even Cleveland, looking at about 10 inches lester it moves out saturday but the damage will already
1: be done all right al roker thank you sir (laughs) the crisis in ukraine is escalating this evening with president biden now sending several thousand troops to eastern europe as new satellite images show russia's continued military buildup along the border kristen welker is at the white house with more
3: Tonight, in a show of force, President Biden deploying 3,000 U.S. troops to Eastern Europe with fears escalating Russia could invade Ukraine. The Pentagon saying 1,000 soldiers based in Germany will be deployed to Romania, and 2,000 troops from Fort Bragg in North Carolina will go to Poland and Germany. 8,500 U.S. troops had already been placed on high alert, with over 100,000 Russian troops amassed along the Ukrainian border. New satellite imagery tonight appearing to show those forces growing. WE DO NOT KNOW IF RUSSIA HAS MADE A FINAL
6: DECISION TO FURTHER INVADE UKRAINE, BUT IT CLEARLY HAS THAT CAPABILITY.
3: THE PRESIDENT HAS RULED OUT A COMBAT DEPLOYMENT TO UKRAINE, LATE TODAY SAYING PUTIN'S ACTIONS PROMPTED HIS MOVE.
7: As long as he's reacting aggressively, we're going to make sure we reassure our NATO allies in Eastern Europe that we're there.
3: Today, the Kremlin calling the troop deployments unfounded and destructive. It comes one day after a defiant Vladimir Putin said the U.S. has failed to meet his security demands, including that Ukraine be barred from joining NATO. But he also insisted he does not plan to invade Ukraine and is open to more diplomatic talks. Meanwhile, NBC's Aaron McLaughlin getting a rare look along Ukraine's border with Belarus tonight. Over that way is Belarus, where there are thousands of Russian troops with only a handful of Ukrainian border patrol standing guard on this side. And getting mixed reaction from people there. Are you worried about war? No, this store owner says. Are you afraid? Everyone is worried. Anything can happen with Russians, he says.
1: And, Kristen, do both sides leave at least a path for diplomacy?
3: They do, Lester. That's exactly right. President Biden, in fact, is going to talk to the French president tonight. Meanwhile, the Pentagon saying these U.S. troop moves are temporary and they will still be under American command.
1: Lester. All right. Kristen Welker at the White House. Thank you. We want to get down to that surprising announcement of the media world, one of the biggest names in news and entertainment. CNN Worldwide President Jeff Zucker resigning effective immediately. Emily Ikeda has details.
3: We have news now to report involving our network.
8: A stunning shakeup at CNN. I don't think anybody uh, saw
2: this coming this morning, an announcement like this.
8: CNN president and chairman of WarnerMedia's News and Sports, Jeff Zucker, is out, resigning immediately for failing to report a relationship with a top-ranking colleague. Zucker writing in a memo to his staff, I was required to disclose it when it began, but I didn't. I was wrong. The 56-year-old called the relationship consensual and with his closest colleague. Gullis,
2: the top marketing executive for CNN, she's
5: remaining with the company.
8: In a statement, CNN Executive Vice President Allison Gullis confirmed the relationship, saying it changed during COVID. I regret that we didn't disclose it at the right time. That relationship surfaced as part of CNN's investigation into its former primetime anchor, Chris Cuomo. Just two months ago, Zucker fired Cuomo for advising his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, on sexual misconduct allegations.
4: Part of this was that a lot of people thought that Jeff Zucker shouldn't have stood by Chris Chris Cuomo as long as he did and should have fired him much earlier than he did.
8: Zucker and Gullis both rose through the ranks at NBC Universal. She worked in communications. He became the company's CEO. Gullis then spent four months as Governor Cuomo's communications director. But when Zucker moved to CNN in 2013, she soon followed. The abrupt end to Zucker's nine years running CNN comes at a pivotal time the network preparing to launch its own streaming service as its parent company is in the middle of one of the nation's largest media mergers. Just how earth-shaking is this for the company at this time? It is stunning. This is not a
4: time that anybody would have expected an announcement like this. And now the leadership, the person who has been at the helm since 2013 is gone at a particularly fraught time for the company.
8: Tonight, CNN naming three executives as interim co-heads as the network feels the fallout. Emily Ikeda, NBC News, New York.
1: And here in New York, authorities announce the arrests of four men in connection with the drug overdose death of actor Michael K. Williams. They allege the men were part of a drug trafficking crew that sold Williams a deadly dose of fentanyl-laced heroin. The sale in Brooklyn last September was captured on surveillance video. The NFL is on defense tonight after that lawsuit by former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores accusing the league and several teams of discriminatory hiring practices. Our Gabe Gutierrez sat down with Flores today.
7: Is the NFL racist? I think the numbers speak for themselves. There's one black head coach. Until just weeks ago, Brian Flores was the second, but the Miami Dolphins fired him after back-to-back winning seasons. Flores and his attorneys have now filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL and several teams alleging discrimination against black coaches. There needs to be a change. Flores says the New York Giants only interviewed him as a sham to comply with the Rooney Rule, an NFL requirement that minority candidates be considered for head coaching jobs. Well, the Rooney Rule doesn't work. That's the problem. The suit says the team had already decided to hire Brian Dable, a coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, who had no head coaching experience. It includes screenshots of texts allegedly sent to Flores by Patriots head coach Bill Belichick mistakenly, days before Flores even interviewed, congratulating him on getting the Giants job. Flores then asked, Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable, just making sure? Belichick replied with an expletive, sorry, I blanked this up. When you realized that he meant to send that text message to someone else, what went through your head? Uh, I was humiliated. The Giants are defending their hiring practices, writing in part, Brian Flores was in the conversation to be our head coach until the 11th hour. Ultimately, we hired the individual we felt was most qualified. Flores also alleges Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered to pay him $100,000 per loss in 2019 to improve the team's draft position. That's it's disrespect to the game. The Dolphins deny any racial discrimination and write that the implication that we acted in a manner inconsistent with the integrity of the game is incorrect. Flores now knows he's risking his career. If we can make changes to this this system this and give more opportunities to, to black and minority coaches real opportunities um, I think it'll be worth it the NFL says Flores's claims are without merit bill belichick has not returned our calls for comment lester all right gabe thank you in just
1: 60 seconds our series justice for all my in-depth look inside one of the toughest jails in america with appalling conditions and even a former corrections commissioner calls inhumane The FBI has identified six persons of interest in a wave of bomb threats to historically black colleges and universities. A law enforcement official says they're all juveniles across the country who appear to be using tech-savvy methods to try and hide their trails. None has been publicly charged. The FBI is investigating the threats as hate crimes. In Virginia, the suspect accused of fatally shooting two campus officers at Bridgewater College on Tuesday made his first court appearance today. The 27-year-old former student was arraigned on murder charges. The small private college said the two slain officers were good friends and were known on campus as the dynamic duo. A group of public defenders is asking President Biden to visit New York's main jail complex, Rikers Island, during his visit here tomorrow. While a jail stop is not expected, justice reform advocates are drawing attention to what they call inhumane conditions at the jail, leaving a mostly pre-trial population and those who guard them at risk. Rikers Island, New York's massive jail complex just a few miles from midtown Manhattan and scene of a humanitarian crisis. What are some words you'd use to describe Rikers Island? Hell. Plain and simple, hell. Benji Lozano recently spent five months in Rikers, serving the remaining sentence from a 1997 assault conviction after his recent parole from decades in state prison on a separate conviction. What do you see in these pictures? I see myself. I see
7: everything that I experienced while I was at Rikers Island. I see inhumane conditions. I mean, look at that. It's it's ridiculous.
1: Photos obtained by the New York Post last fall show detainees jammed in a holding area. Lozano says he spent weeks living like this.
7: Feces all over the wall, uh, unoperable uh, restrooms, toilets were not flush, the sinks would not work. It was just, it was
1: disgusting. And you might be surprised who agrees with him. People were living in inhumane conditions. Until last month, Vincent Chiraldi was in charge of Rikers Island. No recreation, health care was not available to people because we couldn't get them to their doctor's appointments. Violence, he says, was rampant. NBC News recently obtained more than 100 hours of surveillance video from inside Rikers. City officials don't contest the contents of the video. Seems like this, an attempted knifing averted by an officer and an inmate organized so-called fight night where some detainees were forced to participate. Who was running the place? The inmates run the facilities. I wrote to all the judges and all the district attorneys and said
2: I cannot guarantee the safety of people that get sent here.
1: Shirodi says one of the most pressing problems, a union contract that gives officers unlimited sick time. He points out that of the nearly 8,000 officers at Rikers, up to a third don't show up on any given day. For six years, Serena Townsend was in charge of investigating misconduct at the jail.
8: People were calling out sick, and then um, when we would go and check on them, they were not actually at home sick, they were out. Last month,
1: Townsend was fired by the newly appointed commissioner after she says he instructed her to get rid of 2,000 disciplinary cases against officers within 100 days, and she refused. The city denies Townsend's claims.
8: I investigated every type of act of misconduct, and I have to say that a lot of what I saw in those cases are things that are happening that could have been prevented if we had staff in the jails?
1: Benny Basio, the union president representing officers, accuses Townsend of being overzealous in her discipline of officers who were trying to do an impossible job. We have officers that are out sick. 1,500
4: correction officers have been assaulted in the last year. We have officers dealing with long-term effects of COVID, being sexually assaulted. So, you know, this notion that we're out on
1: purpose is just nonsense. Finger pointing aside, everyone agrees that Rikers is horribly broken. And whose fault is all that? I think it's it's an administrative fault. It is the fault of people who run the system and people who are in elected positions. New York plans to close Rikers by 2027. Meantime, a city hall spokesperson says under new corrections commissioner, Louis Molina, more than a thousand officers are back at work and many are now working normal hours again. Next for us tonight, meet the eight-year-old boy whose book is flying off the shelves of his local library. Finally, tonight, the boy with the right stuff, how he got the book he wrote into the public library, is an inspiring tale of its own. Here's Joe Fryer.
4: Libraries are designed for checking books out. But eight-year-old Dylan Helbig recently proved you can check one in.
9: They thought I was kidding, but I wasn't.
4: He recently wrote his own book, filling an empty journal with 81 pages of words and illustrations, featuring an exploding Christmas tree and a giant turkey.
9: It's called *The Adventures of Dylan Hobig's Christmas* by Dylan Hobig himself.
4: That's right, by Dylan himself. A story so good he felt it belonged on the shelves of the Ada Community Library in Idaho. So ever so discreetly, he took the initiative.
9: And then I came in this aisle. No, wait, this aisle. And then I put my book right here. What were you afraid of? The librarian catching me.
4: Were you afraid you might have been in trouble?
9: I I haven't really thought about that part. we didn't think about that consequence <laughs> of that part yet
4: <laughs> when the librarians did find out well they threw some stickers on it and made it available to check out
10: my
8: first reaction was like, what <laughs> really you know is that possible like you can do that you <laughs> can do that <laughs>
4: at last check the wait list for dylan's book was at 64 motivating the young author to get going on a sequel.
9: And it's called The Jacket Eating Closet, based on actual events. A budding
4: publishing empire, thanks to a sneaky plan by Dylan,
1: himself. Joe Fryer, NBC News. Author, author and marketing genius. That's nightly news for this Wednesday. Thank you for watching everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night.
9: This is page 81.
1: What's it say at the end?
9: We'll be right back in the next book. Audio Jungle
4: money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang.
11: Welcome to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang, live from Seattle. Coming up in the next hour, Meta's results. It's big bet on the metaverse in question. Can the tech giant prove AR and VR can be a meta moneymaker? Shares plummet on fourth quarter results. We will discuss. Plus, AMD shares spike on the back of strong earnings. I'll speak with AMD CEO, Lisa Su about how she's doing it amidst the continuing supply crunch. And MicroStrategy takes an almost $150 million charge, writing down its Bitcoin holdings, this on new accounting rules from the SEC. Still, Michael Saylor's firm in more Bitcoin. We'll ask him why later this hour. All of that in just a moment, but first we're taking a look at the markets. Our Ed Ludlow here watching Meta, watching Spotify. Ed, take it away.
12: Yeah, I mean, look, markets are now refocused on earnings season. Just in terms of where we ended Wednesday, the NASDAQ 100, Up eight tenths of 1%, fourth gain in a row, best run of winning streak since November of 2020. And you talked a while about AMD, real strength in semiconductors, semiconductors like AMD and boosting not just the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, but the NASDAQ 100 as well on that strength that we got from Alphabet earnings. If there was one area we didn't carry on momentum, it wasn't cryptocurrencies, the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index. It's that basket of tokens that Bloomberg tracks largely weighted towards Bitcoin and Ethereum down 2.9% on Wednesday. But let's talk about those after-hours movers because my goodness, it has been a stressful last hour, Emily. Let me tell you, Qualcomm, Starts rising in after hours after a really bullish second quarter outlook. Smartphone demand really strong. But now we're down 2%. We have been down as much as 8% in after hours. A lot of this seems to be those other bets. You know this story, right, M. Cristiano Amon trying to move the company away from smartphones to new areas like automotive, IoT. Really lofty, lofty expectations from the street. They seem to have missed those. And the street selling as a result. Spotify down 10%. The numbers not great to be honest with you they ended the first quarter with 418 million total users 183 million subscribers paid that sounds really good when you said out loud but it was less than the street was looking for let's get to the big one Meta the parent company of Facebook Don't rub your eyes, Em. That is what you're seeing. We're down 21%, 22% in after hours. Monthly active users, daily active users, soft below estimates. The company being pretty candid. Headwinds from competitors. Are are we that surprised how many analysts cut price targets on Meta in the last few weeks because of competition on TikTok and video? They They see progress in these other business areas, but clearly something is not going right or something's going wrong at Meta.
11: Ed, I would say it is a surprise. I I can't remember a time when Facebook's core users didn't grow. Thanks so much for that report, Ed. I want to bring in Deborah Aha-Williamson now from Insider Intelligence. Deb, can you remember the last time that happened? Has
13: it ever happened? I was just about to say, Emily, uh, for the first time that I can recall, yes, this is a new news information, new information. Facebook lost daily active users in Q4 on a worldwide basis. And, you know, the monthly user base gain, not that great. Uh, it's having challenges with flatness in Asia-Pacific, which is historically where it's seen some of its largest gains. Um, these, are th- these are things that we weren't necessarily surprised by at insider intelligence, but I think the, the fact that here they are in, in, you know, bald-faced numbers is what is causing all of this chaos that's going right now, um, you know, in the after hours. Um, not to mention of course you know the um questions about the metaverse uh the ad revenue performance uh which looked good for 2021 according to our estimates and our forecasts but the guidance for Q1 uh, lower than expected um it's quite a lot to unpack and a lot of um unsettling things going on right now with meta absolutely Deborah.
11: We've been talking about this for years anecdotally, but seeing it in the numbers is a different thing. Why do you think this is happening? I mean, are we talking about teens and young adults just thinking Facebook isn't cool anymore?
13: You know, it's a lot of things, right? So um, there's a there's going to be a natural ceiling uh, for a platform like Facebook to be relevant and, not only in the United States where you're right, teens and, and young adults are generally not, not using the platform very often. Uh, and, but you know outside of the US. I mean we, we tend to be very. US focused in, in a lot of the things that you think about with, with, with Facebook, the platform. Um, but yeah, they are a huge worldwide platform as well. And like I mentioned, you know Asia Pacific, source of a huge amount of growth, developing markets previously, source of a huge amount of growth um, on an annual basis. Those things are so, just aren't happening anymore, and we're not forecasting many much gains, if at all, in total Facebook users for this year.
11: And also on the advertising front, right, you've got not just fewer people on Facebook, but you've got Apple cracking down on targeted advertising. I mean, what is the long-term impact of that going to be, especially as Facebook is trying to make this big Pivot to the metaverse, which could take years to pay off if it pays off?
13: Yeah, so, so much to think about. Uh, looking first at the short term, you know, again, Facebook's full year worldwide ad revenue came in right almost exactly where our forecasters expected it would be. Um, kudos to our forecasters, at $114 billion. So um, that is. That is okay. I mean, I don't think anybody would would really think twice about a revenue performance like that. Uh, I think that what people should be concerned about is what Facebook said is looking at is ahead of it. Um, it's acknowledging um, increased competition for time and engagement among its users, which then trickles down to advertisers. Uh, it's acknowledging the headwinds for out from Apple for uh, from the iOS changes that have been have talked about for quarters. Uh, and you know it, it's, it's certainly talking about huge investments in the metaverse, at which we know are not going to bring any revenue or any meaningful revenue into the company uh, any time in the next you know, near term, even a few years from what I can tell.
11: Well, so the question is, are investors going to be willing to wait around for that? This is obviously a huge investment in the future of you know, artificial and you know, augmented and virtual reality, but nobody knows if that future is actually going to come to fruition.
13: That's a really good point, and nobody knows if the metaverse is going to be someplace where people spend a lot of time gaming um, or if they spend a lot of time shopping, uh, socializing. Uh, all of the above? None of the above? I mean, there's a lot of questions surrounding all of the companies that are investing right now in the metaverse, not just Facebook, to be fair. So, um, uh, excuse me, Meta. Uh, I've been I've been covering the company so long that it's taking me a while to get used to calling it Meta. But so, you know, Meta is making certain investments. I mean, I think the logical place for Meta to lean in when it thinks about revenue from the metaverse is in advertising and, and commerce, right? So, Uh, we're expecting experiments along these lines this year. Again, none of it's going to drive significant revenue uh, towards the bottom line for Meta, but um, we're interested in seeing what is the next ad format going to be? Because if you remember when the company first launched as Facebook, it really revolutionized advertising. And the question we have is, can it revolutionize advertising again when you're thinking about the Metaverse?
11: Uh, listening into the earnings call now, Deborah Mark Zuckerberg saying the popularity of TikTok is driving, you know, the reason behind many of these investments they're making in these different products, reels in particular. All right, Deborah Aho Williamson of Insider Intelligence. Always appreciate you taking the time to join us. We'll continue to watch out for headlines from that call. Meantime, coming up, a different earnings story for AMD. The chip industry may be in a crunch, but not for Lisa Sue. I'll be talking to the CEO of AMD coming up next about an earnings beat and strong outlook ahead. That's next. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> Shares of chipmaker AMD spiking after strong fourth quarter results and a good outlook ahead. AMD CEO Lisa Su, with me here now. Lisa, look, it was it was a great report. Everybody's excited about the outlook. What's driving this in terms of the execution here,
14: Emily? It's great to see you as always. Um, we're very uh, proud and excited about uh, the quarter that we had. Um, you know, the uh, 2021 ended up 68 percent. Uh, growth um, on an annual basis, um, you know, very, very um, good traction across all of our businesses, whether you're talking about, you know, our data center business, um, our gaming business, our graphics business, our our, um, PC business, you know, all of the businesses um, are really firing on all cylinders. And going into 2022, you know, we see, um, you know, very similarly a, a strong demand environment, um, as well as just a, a great product portfolio. So uh, we were able to, uh, to guide full year up 31%. And uh, we're really excited to see what 2022 uh, brings.
11: We're now seven years into your tenure as CEO, and you've gone a long way to restoring AMD's position in the industry. There is this question of how much further can AMD go? How would you answer that question?
14: Well, you know, the wonderful thing about technology is um, there is so much to do. So as, as you know, proud as we are about all the progress we've made over the last few years, um, you know, the technology envelope, you know, we have to keep pushing the envelope. There's more and more to do. Um, the applications are re- requiring more and more high performance computing. Uh, and this is our sweet spot. This is where we're specializing. So, you know, I see tremendous opportunity for us going forward, and, and you see that in just, you know, the strong demand environment and the fact that everybody wants more compute, whether you're a business or you're a gamer or you're an enterprise um, or you're a cloud manufacturer, I think more compute is one of those secular growth trends that, um, that we believe a lot in and will continue to be a key factor over the next five plus years.
11: How much of what you're reporting is overall market share gain versus an industry just getting bigger and all boats rising?
14: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, um, Emily. There's no question that, you know, sort of the backdrop of the COVID pandemic and um, all of this digital transformation has been um, good for semiconductors. And so you can see that the overall demand environment is strong. Um, I do think what we have um, at AMD is an alpha factor um, on top of that. Uh, you know, we have great products, uh, we're underrepresented in the market. You know, we've been working for the last five years as at building trust um, with some of the largest hyperscalers and the largest customers in the world so that they can trust us with what their um, what their technology needs are. And I think um, within that backdrop, you know, we've been able to gain market share and, and really, you know, gain the trust of some of the, um, the largest and most important brands um, in the world.
11: Now, the whole industry, of course, has struggled to get enough supply. We just heard Elon Musk say Tesla will continue to be chip limited. I spoke to Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. He said there's no relief in sight. I'm curious about how you are executing here and managing to get in more orders and beating your targets, even against this difficult backdrop.
14: Well, the last 12 to 15 months has been all about uh, really strengthening the semiconductor supply chain and you know, we work very closely with all of our supply chain partners whether you're talking about um on the um the wafer or the front end side or um the back end side and substrates and all of these testing equipments and you know, what we have really planned for is long-term growth. I mean, we've had A very ambitious growth outlook for the last few years. Uh, We continue to have that. Uh, We're working with our partners. We're investing. So we're investing with our partners on uh, building out that capacity. Um, I think we've been uh, very aggressive, and I'm, I'm happy with the fact that we've gotten uh, more supply. And that's part of the reason we were able to overachieve in 2021. And, you know, we do see, you know, I know people say that there's no end in sight. I, I wouldn't exactly say that. Uh, I would say that a lot of progress is being made. And, um, you know, we're thankful for all the partnership across the supply chain. And we're going to continue to drive more and more supply um, as we go through every quarter in 2022.
11: The Biden administration has been taking an apt active role in trying to alleviate the crisis. The president himself had this to say about his view on what's going on here. Take a quick listen to President Biden.
6: Everything from cars to dishwashers are delayed getting to showrooms and customers, just as demand for them is up because the economy is growing. And because supply is low, because supply is low, we find ourselves in a position that we're really behind the curve. Prices are going up.
11: Lisa, and I, I know you've been engaged with the Biden administration on this as well. But is there anything the government isn't doing that they should be doing or doing more of that you think would help? Uh,
14: you know, I think the um, the overall government uh, has been very supportive of the semiconductor industry. And if you think about, you know, probably the most important thing is really declaring the semiconductor industry, you know, essential. And you know we saw that through the pandemic. We see that now through uh, the need for semiconductors in so many different applications. Um, And that's that's a tremendous uh, statement. Um, I think we're very supportive of the legislation that's going through now between the Chips Act and the Competes Act. And you know we view it as uh, this is a public-private partnership. You know we all have a part to play, um, ensuring that there's a strong semiconductor ecosystem um, in the United States. Uh, We're happy to play our part in that, and that's not just a manufacturing statement. That's also a research and development statement. You know, we really want the US to continue our leadership in design and um, all of the new innovations um, that are necessary Um, so you know i think we're all work on the case and you know we continue to be focused on not just the supply chain in the short term which obviously is very important and we're all focused on but really the health and the prosperity of the industry um, over the longer term and um, i think there's a lot of um, good discussions and good action plans um, in that place uh, those places as well
11: Meta just reported results. You may have heard us talking earlier, a difficult quarter. We didn't see growth in Facebook for the first time that I can remember in my 10 years covering the company. You know, what's it been like working with them now that they are a customer? Can you share any color on what you've learned?
14: Well, you know the way I uh, interact, the way we interact with all of our large hyperscaler uh, partners is is really um, a long-term roadmap. And so we're talking about, um, you know, work with um, not just Meta, but really all the large hyperscalers, including Google, including Microsoft, including Amazon, and, and so on and so forth. About what do they need um, over the next, you know, three plus years? And that's on a technology standpoint, that's from a supply standpoint, that's from a, um, you know, really bringing our two teams together. Um, so that work is going really, really well. And, and you know, we, we view this as um, such a strategic area. You know, think about data centers and, um, you know, cloud as um, secular growth over the next five plus years. Uh, we need a lot more compute there, and, and we're working closely with all of our partners um, to uh to ensure that we satisfy that and we help them, you know, meet their objectives.
11: Meantime, Lisa, I gotta ask uh, a man in a Christmas sweater, who you might recognize as uh, one of your competitors, recently had some words about AMD. Take a quick listen to this.
3: All of a sudden, boom! We are back in the game. AMD in the rearview mirror and clients, and never again will they be in the windshield. We are just leading the market.
11: I suspect, Lisa, that you have quite a different view on the competitive position. Curious what your response is to that and, and, and how you see the competitive landscape right now.
14: You know, Emily, we've been working on uh, this journey of really building out AMD as a high performance computing leader for the last five years. And we're going to do that for the next five years. So uh, we're about playing, playing our game. Um, we feel very good about our strategy. We feel very good about our customers. And so I think we will um, we will do well in this market.
11: All right. Well, we'll be watching for that. AMD CEO, Lisa Su, always great to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Coming up next, there's so much to talk about when it comes to Web3. But what is it? Really? That's next. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Thank you. The tech world has been buzzing about Web3 and its possibilities, but a lot of people still don't understand what Web3 really is. We're trying to understand it too. Bloomberg Quick Takes Nicole Tsai and Ping Huang take a look.
15: What is Web3? There's a lot of buzz surrounding Web3, but really, what is it? Honestly, it took me a while to wrap my head around it because people make it seem like it's so complicated but at the heart of it, it's not really. Web3 is not a platform or a type of technology or something you're gonna find in the metaverse. It's actually more like an era or a categorization. But before we dive deeper into this, know that all this categorization is still pretty vague because there isn't some official body out there saying, hey, this is Web3. The way people can say, hey, it's 2022. Long story short, Web3 wants to be a decentralized internet. In Web3, people wanted to take a step back from the Web2 structure where power rested in the hands of a few tech CEOs. At the foundation of Web3 is the development of blockchain. Now blockchain is the technology behind cryptocurrencies and at its core decentralized. So how does blockchain decentralize the internet? Usually when talking about blockchain you hear it associated with bitcoin and other kinds of cryptocurrencies. But but this is because for example bitcoin isn't maintained by just one company but by a vast network of computers all connected to the internet. Now that we know how Web3 can exist, the question is, why are venture capitalists throwing billions of dollars into Web3? A chunk of that money is going into the development of dApps, or dApps. Still debated on how that's said. DApps. DApps, or decentralized apps, are one of the reasons why you're seeing so much optimism around Web3. Here's my colleague Zuping Huang with more on dApps.
6: Thanks, Nico. So, dApps run on top of blockchains like Ethereum or Solana, instead of servers run by big companies like Facebook. That means no one can actually shut them down. But what's more important is that dApp users can have the full ownership
3: of their data, tokens, or virtual assets for real.
6: Some of the most popular applications are in finance and gaming. For example, this app called PancakeSwap allows you to trade one coin for another without any middleman matching orders. And there's a hit game called Axie Infinity. It's just like Pokemon, but you can sell your virtual pets for money.
15: At the same time, Web3 also has its skeptics. Elon Musk said it seemed like a marketing buzzword back in December. Cryptographer and Signal App founder Moxie Marlinspike also discussed the issue of servers in a post discussing Web3. Unless people start running their own servers, and very few people and even organizations do this, it's not really decentralized. Accountability could also be a big issue with Web3. Regulators are raising concerns with some issues regarding decentralized finance or DeFi apps that let people lend, borrow, and trade coins with each other. They do so without verifying users' identities and performing anti-money laundering background checks. Finally, there's environmental concerns about the huge amount of computing power some blockchains require. At the end of the day, we have to ask, is Web3 really worth the hype? Or is it just a bunch of tech talk celebrated by a niche market? Let us know what you guys think. Bloomberg's
11: Nicole Tsai and Jiaping Huang. Meantime, I want to talk about Spider-Man coming to the aid of Sony. The Japanese Electronics and Entertainment Corporation reported strong third-quarter earnings and raised its fiscal year forecast. Credit goes to a new blockbuster Spider-Man movie, along with sales of image sensors used by Apple's iPhones. However, it wasn't all positive for the company, which said it expects sales of its PlayStation 5 to be down due to the ongoing chip shortage. And big changes at CNN. Jeff Zucker, president of the news network, has resigned after failing to disclose a romantic relationship with another senior executive. Zucker said the issue came up during an investigation into former anchor Chris Cuomo, who was fired over his involvement in helping his brother, former New York governor Andrew Cuomo, fight sexual harassment allegations. CNN named three interim co-heads of the network until the company's merger with Discovery which is expected to close by spring. Coming up, an exclusive interview with the new co-CEO of Salesforce. Brett Taylor will be with us to talk about the company's new safety cloud. That is next. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in Seattle. Getting people back to work in person and safely. That is the goal of Salesforce's new Safety Cloud. It helps businesses manage testing and health protocols as everyone navigates the return to work and in-person events. For more, I'm joined exclusively by Brett Taylor, co-CEO of Salesforce, <laughs> in his first TV interview since getting that top job. Brett, great to have you with us. Talk to us about this new safety cloud. I understand it was based on Salesforce's own work experiences. How does it work?
10: Well, it's it's pretty simple, Emily. Um, it's really about scaling testing, which is really the way back with all these new variants that none of us expected or hoped for, but are a part of our reality in this pandemic, which is becoming an endemic. It enables you if you're putting on an event like our Dreamforce San Francisco or Dreamforce New York City or even the company kickoff we're doing in New York City next week with 5,000 of our employees, it means that you can scale testing. You can do either an at-home test or perhaps with one of our partners like CVS Pharmacies, do a test, show up with a QR code, and you know that everyone in, uh, in your building or in your event's been tested, and you can have the confidence to reconnect safely because... That's what's top of mind for all of our customers right now is how can we reconnect in the face of this uh, ever chasing endemic.
11: What is Salesforce's latest return to work plan and view on how workplaces in general are going to be changed forever?
10: Well, Emily, since the beginning of this pandemic, we've really been focused on how can we bring the power of our technology platform to help both ourselves, but more importantly, help our customers thrive in the face of all these unexpected changes. Uh, Whether it was contact tracing, like we partnered with the state of Rhode Island or vaccine management um, right here in my home state of California and so many states around the United States, or now a safety cloud. You know, we know that our customers want to connect with their employees and their customers digitally. They want to reconnect safely. And we're really representing that as well. We have 84 over 100 offices opened all powered by this safety cloud. We're getting together 5,000 of our employees next week in New York. But day-to-day, we're also running our whole company on Slack, our digital headquarters. And candidly, Emily, I think that's the new normal. You know, most of our interactions will be digital, but we need to use the power of technology so that we can reconnect safely and reignite all of our cultures in this new normal.
11: Now, you've been in this role of co-CEO for two months now. Tell us more about your relationship with Mark Benioff in person and Uh, virtually, and how you've been working together in this top job.
10: Well, as you know, Emily, because you've known me for so long, Mark and I have been friends for over a decade. He's been a mentor of mine, particularly as I transitioned from consumer software to enterprise software. And when I sold my company to Salesforce about five and a half years ago, I can't say I imagined being in this role now, but (laughs) Uh, This is a lifelong partnership uh, and something that has been really, I think, the most exciting part of my career and operating this uh, important company in partnership with Mark is such a privilege, particularly right now, you know, because if you look at the past couple of years, I think this has really accelerated the digitization of the economy, and you can see the second and 3rd order effects uh, around the economy. And Salesforce is such an important, trusted digital advisor to all the most important brands in the world. And doing it in partnership with Mark is uh, just the privilege of a lifetime.
11: Now Salesforce made a huge tech deal last year buying Slack, and I know that you were critical. To that, I'm curious how you're thinking about M&A right now, given that we just saw Microsoft kind of up the ante buying Activision for more than twice as much. What's your view on Salesforce doing deals, how aggressive you should be, and where valuations are at?
10: Well, first, I'll answer your question. Let me just talk a little bit about how excited I am about Slack. You know, it's interesting. The expectations we've developed as employees in this pandemic, I think has really permanently shifted the way we work. Uh, we do a survey of employees who work in offices. And the last survey that we did, 76% said they want flexibility where they work. And over 90% said they want flexibility when they work. And in this competition for talent, That really means the digital headquarters we build for our employees is as important as the physical headquarters. And I'm talking, you know know us, we have Salesforce Tower in San Francisco and New York. We were really our office space, but this idea of really building that digital headquarters, I think is top of mind for every executive team all around the world. Um, and right now we're focused on integrating Slack. So to get to the answer to your question, you know, we, we're not seeing short-term uh, M&A opportunities. Though, as you know, we're always opportunistic in, in finding innovation in the market.
11: Now, the same week you were promoted to co-CEO of Salesforce, you became the chair of Twitter's board of directors. Curious how much time you're spending with Parag Agrawal, given that this is his first time being a CEO.
10: Yeah, so I've actually been on the the Twitter board um, for over five years. um, And it's such a privilege to work with a a new incoming um, CEO. Um, And um, I'm really excited about Parag's leadership, excited to where he takes the company and really excited about all the innovation coming out of the Twitter consumer product as of late.
11: Let's talk about that, because Twitter just pivoted to NFTs and profile pics. We see Facebook, I should say Meta, making this big pivot to the metaverse. Of course, you were the CTO of Facebook in those early years. We're seeing Microsoft throw its hat into the ring with an enterprise metaverse play. What do you think of this move to the metaverse, and will Salesforce have a role in it?
4: Uh, You
10: know, I'm really excited about all the innovation in this space. You know, when I think about NFTs and the metaverse, I really bring it back to seeing what our customers are doing to engage with their customers. And I think it's really about all of our digital identities becoming more important than ever before. Uh, It's about building communities. It's about digital goods. It's about collectibles. And I'm seeing so many interesting experiments from retailers around NFTs and digital goods and wallets. That I think are really exciting. Uh, you know, as you saw in the segment right before I came on, there's a lot of hype in this space. Um, sometimes it's hard to uh, untangle the really interesting stuff from, you know, the the hype. Um, but we're really excited about it, and I think you know you will see some innovation from us in this space because we want to make sure when our customers want to experiment with this technology, the Salesforce platform is is there to help them do it.
11: What do you mean by some innovation? Can you give us a hint?
10: I can't, but uh, you'll have to wait and see. Maybe I can come back on the show and tell you about it.
11: All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, Brett Taylor, co-CEO of Salesforce, thank you so much for joining us and appreciate you taking the time in your first TV interview since taking that role. All right, coming up, Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy, the company taking an impairment charge, having to write down the value of its Bitcoin, but... Still investing, still buying more. Michael Saylor with us next. This is Bloomberg.
16: There is a way of building for the internet, building for the world that is trusted, that is open, that is um, inclusive of anyone who wants to participate.
11: Strategy taking an impairment charge on its Bitcoin holdings. This after the SEC said companies need to follow some new accounting rules. Still, Michael Saylor's firm buying more Bitcoin. Here to talk about it all, Bloomberg Shanali Basik. Shanali, take it away.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Emily. It's really interesting to see how MicroStrategy has ridden the ride that has been in Bitcoin in the past year. If you take a look at this chart, you see the ups and downs that Bitcoin has gone through and just exactly where MicroStrategy has brought in at the average price of $48,710 last year. Of course, that has led to an impairment charge in the most recent quarter of $147 million here. But remember, these are accounting changes you have investors that may or may not be comfortable with those swings some are more comfortable than others microstrategy as an investor in bitcoin did double down on that dip bought bitcoin about ten thousand dollars lower at uh, around 37 1865 per coin. That's much closer to where it's trading now. That would still be a slight loss today, but again, let's see where it goes later on. If you look at what BTIG says about MicroStrategy's holdings, they think MicroStrategy, which has declined about 50% on the year, at two, $348 could eventually be about $950 per share. So getting comfortable with what it looks like to have the biggest corporate holding of Bitcoin and starting to get comfortable with investors on what those impairment charges look like as they flow through the income statement.
11: Right, following, of course, Bitcoin's downward trend, at least uh, for the last few months. How – talk to us about the micro moves we're seeing from micro strategies Investors, how are they interpreting all of this?
0: It's interesting. It's again, if you're comfortable with it or not, we saw when the SEC had announced that this change would happen. MicroStrategy did say that it would be noisy for investors to start to do this. But again, this is a volatile industry, a volatile asset class. And MicroStrategy, remember the shares that decline is much more steep than you see from its peer group. Perhaps in the Russell 5000, if you use that as a proxy, only 5% over the year. So a much steeper decline. But again, most of the analysts that do follow MicroStrategy do say that it's either a buy or hold. And that BTIG price target of 950 is the most aggressive that we see. All right. Bloomberg, Shanali
11: Bosick, thanks so much for joining us. Now I want to bring in the man himself, MicroStrategy CEO And founder, Michael Saylor. Michael, great to have you back with us. We're going to get to the investor question in a moment, but I actually want to start with software because it was the best year for your software business 2021, uh, you know, in a decade. And I wonder what that says about 2022. What is the outlook ahead?
6: I think we got a real a nice boost in, in 2021. Our cloud subscriptions business was up 39% year over year. Our top line was up 6% year over year. Um, we had a big boost in free cash flow. We ran about an 18% free cash flow margin. So we generated a bit more than 90 million in free cash flow. We were able to uh, invest that in acquiring more Bitcoin and, and easily cover our debt service. So we're comfortable with the business. It's nice.
11: So some of your margins did miss estimates due to wage inflation, wage inflation, inflation, investments in the cloud. Do you think these pressures will keep up in the near term?
6: Um, I, you know, there are some challenges with wages in the tech business, as you know, and and yeah, we expect that'll continue. We'll have to just continue to get more efficient. Then uh, if you're doing business internationally, international currencies, like the Argentine lira has lost 90, sorry, the Argentine peso has lost 93% of its value over the last four years, Emily. Uh, Turkish, uh, Turkish uh, lira is also struggling. Uh, the news last night was the Lebanese pound lost 93% of its value. So uh, international currencies will be a bit of a weight, but uh, our domestic business and Western European business looks good to us. And we're, uh, again, as we rotate to the cloud, uh, that's a nice efficiency gain for us.
11: So let's talk about investors. Why should investors buy into MicroStrategy rather than buying Bitcoin itself or some of the ETFs that now exist?
6: you 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 know, if you had a spot Bitcoin ETF and you held the spot, but you charge 0% fees, that would be better. And MicroStrategy micro doesn't charge any fees. We're an operating company. And that means not only do we not charge fees, we make money and we can generate additional yield and we can get a fairly cheap leverage, You know, like the $2.2 billion in debt that's got like a 1.5% interest cost for us. So so your choices as an investor would be to buy into a non-existent spot ETF that charged you 50 to 100 basis points with no leverage and no yield, or to buy into the futures ETF. And that's much more expensive than 2 or 3% or invest in Grayscale, which is a 2% cost per year. And so I think that you know, as an operating company, we're pretty compelling. Also, we're not a Bitcoin miner, so we don't take any Bitcoin mining risk. So if, if you're looking for a leveraged uh, a leveraged, uh, Bitcoin play with spot exposure that's got positive yield, then MicroStrategy is the only game in town.
11: Now, you bought about 660 additional Bitcoin during the dip, $25 million worth or so. That's actually your smallest purchase since last yeah. May. What should we read into this? Do you have plans to buy more or are you hedging your bets?
6: You know, and we did that out of free cash flow, Emily. So we didn't issue any debt and we didn't issue any uh, equity to buy that. So that's a pure accretion to all of our common stock shareholders. And as I said, we generated about $90 million in free cash flow last year. So as we generate that cash flow, uh, we'll pay our debt service, and then we'll uh, sweep the remainder into Bitcoin, and we'll continue with that. Um, if we're going to be more aggressive about buying Bitcoin, then we'll you know, look at various financing options. Probably the most compelling and interesting ones are to generate yield off of the 110,000 Bitcoin that's currently unpledged or to borrow against that 110000 Bitcoin and then reinvest that in in more Bitcoin. We haven't made any decisions on that yet. We'll have to make sure that anything we do is accretive and meets our risk parameters.
11: You just held your big MicroStrategy World Conference. I believe 70,000 or so people tuned in. You interviewed Jack Dorsey and, of course, he rarely gives interviews, he had this to say about corporations considering getting into Bitcoin. Take a quick listen.
16: Even if you don't use or don't believe you could use Bitcoin in your company, I think it's worth your study because there's a number of lessons in it that will make your company better. Um, How you operate your company, how you interact with the world, um, how you think, uh, how you execute. Um, I've just learned so much from it that have made everything about my company uh, and what we do much better. And, you know, if I were to start another company, those lessons would would just be so great.
11: Michael, I'm curious if there's anywhere where you and Jack disagree on Bitcoin. What do you think you have to learn from each other?
6: We agree pretty enthusiastically. Jack's a man on a mission. And his view of Bitcoin and Lightning is they're open, they're fair, they're global, they're permissionless uh, digital monetary networks. And you can use them to provide financial inclusion to billions of people. And you can actually do business at the speed of light friction free. And so as a technologist, he's a technologist, I am. We both agree on the idea of moving money at the speed of light to 8 billion people for free. And as a humanitarian, we both agree there's billions of people that are unbanked and not included in the current system. And you know, again, if your currency's collapsing and you just lost 93% of your wealth overnight and the bank seized all your assets, which is just what happened in Lebanon this week, what choice do you have? Like There's billions of people that don't have any better alternative, and Jack wants to deliver a better alternative to them. And I agree with him wholeheartedly.
11: Dorsey threw some serious shade at Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg for the way they handled their big crypto bet diem, which, of course, hasn't worked out. We're also tracking Meta's results today, not looking good. Facebook meta trying to make this big pivot to the metaverse that nobody knows whether it will pay off or not. You've seen so many big shifts in technology in your many decades in the industry. And I'm curious what your view is on what's happening over there.
6: Well, I I think that meta will figure it out. Mark Zuckerberg's brilliant, and and I have the greatest respect for him. But what I'll say with regard to cryptocurrency is the world doesn't want uh, a digital monetary network controlled by one company. It doesn't want a currency from one company. It doesn't matter whether you're the greatest company on earth. The the beauty of Bitcoin is it's open, it's common property. Nobody controls it. Nobody 100 years from now will control it. And that makes it ethically sound. So I think Jack's frustration is he knows that Facebook... Uh, and now, Meta could deliver uh, utilitarian uh, economic empowerment to billions of people in an ethical, technically sound, politically sound, economically sound fashion. And he's frustrated to see that we all use our power as a force of good.
11: All right, MicroStrategy founder and CEO Michael Saylor, always good to have you here on the show. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Coming up, it's the name President Biden won't mention. More on his, let's call it a standoff with Tesla and Elon Musk. That is next. This is Bloomberg.
15: A portfolio of EVs so everybody can truly make the transition so we're just getting started. I say climate change means jobs and that's what you're proven. And you know we're so happy to support your agenda on climate change and getting to an all EV future.
11: President Biden last week talking EVs with GM's Mary Barra and Ford's Jim Farley at an event at the White House, even tweeting about building the vehicles here in the United States. But the president failed to mention the biggest EV maker in the world, that's Tesla. And it certainly got the attention of CEO Elon Musk, our Ed Ludlow here with more. Ed, do you think the president is deliberately leaving Tesla out of the conversation?
12: This is a tricky one. I mean, look, (laughs) it's actually quite clear. This is politics and we're not a politics show, but Bloomberg's done some fantastic reporting around this. According to White House sources, you know, Joe Biden's made no secret about his support from the unions and he needs that union support. Michigan is a state where the Democrats, Democratic Party can win. GM and Ford are legacy automakers with a long and rich history of union assembly workers, and Tesla's not. It pays its workers really well through equity compensation. But you know Biden is clearly looking at this thinking, OK, I need the support of the traditional base that work at these companies. And that's, that's kind of what we're hearing from the White House sources we're speaking to.
11: Well, he's certainly poking the bear a little bit. What what do we know about the conversations between Elon Musk and President Biden? I mean, the president has invited a number of, of CEOs, continues to invite CEOs from Silicon Valley to the White House. And come to think of it, I've never seen Elon Musk there.
12: It is a cold shoulder right. And, you know, you you just have to take the bigger picture. Tesla is the world's biggest EV maker. It's created thousands and thousands of jobs in the US. Yes, Tesla has moved to Texas, which is traditionally a Republican state. But it's really interesting that the White House doesn't acknowledge it. And as you know, Em, I mean, I was in LA last year listening to Elon Musk speak at Code Conference. He essentially accused Joe Biden of being a communist and he called this the Russian EV revolution, um, which are pretty strong words. So it clearly grates him, uh, and we get that from his most recent tweet as well.
11: All right, something we're gonna continue to follow. Ed, thank you so much for taking time to break that all down. Our Ed Ludlow there in San Francisco. We'll be watching the tweets. All right. Coming up tomorrow on Bloomberg Technology, we've got Alexis Ohanian, of course, the co-founder of Reddit, founder of the 776 Venture Investment Fund. We're going to talk about his latest crypto plays. Also, California Congressman Ro Khanna will be joining us to talk about his new book, Dignity in a Digital Age. And Hope Cochran, managing director of Madrona Venture Group, will be with us. So much to discuss. Big show. You don't want to miss it. I'm Emily Chang in Seattle. This is Bloomberg.
17: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
18: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm here, as always, your host, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from our studio in Tempe, Arizona, and joined by my co-host today, Landon Mance, coming to us from Las Vegas, Sin City. Welcome to the show, Landon.
19: Thank you very much. Excited to be here with you, of course, but the real excitement is from our, our, our guests that we're going to be introducing.
18: Yeah. Ni- nice catch on that one. I appreciate it. So, listen, before we jump in and uh, introduce our guest and and talk about what uh, what it is that he's doing here and and why he's uh, here on our show today, if this is the first time that you're listening to our show, Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. Landon and I are small business owners. We also have a partner of the program, Fintrepid Solutions, Ryan Weissmuller. He's a small business owner. And we are actually multi-generational families of small business owners. We believe that the small business owner in our country is truly the backbone of the American economy. And for that reason, we put together this podcast and feel it's a, it's an important way to highlight what small business owners are doing and, and how they're impacting our economy and impacting our communities and families, et cetera. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon on the, on the program today. We've got Tom Donnellan with Deck of Dice Gaming Incorporated. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Austin. Yeah. Thanks, Landon. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So uh, before we jump into the business side of things and, and you know, really what it is that Deck of Dice Gaming does, let's back up a little bit, have you tell us a little bit about you personally. So, you know, where did you grow up? Did you go to school? What did you study? Do you have a family? Do you have children? Um, you know, whatever you'd like us to know about you personally.
20: Awesome. And just to be clear, we've got an hour, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> just we do. I, want to make sure I don't talk too much. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, I am born and raised and currently reside near Cleveland, Ohio. Our business stretches around the world and we'll get into that a bit later. I've got teammates here in the Pacific time zone. So glad to stop by the lovely studios here and, and see you guys in person, especially, you know, kind of here in the midst of COVID. But back home, started with a career in consumer products ended up here in the gaming industry and uh kicked things off uh like you had had kids at a very young age i think I, I was listening to a podcast recently where we were talking a little bit about that but uh married my high school sweetheart jenny uh when i was 22 uh had our first son connor at uh, 23 and then just uh you know decided that we're all in had known we wanted three kids and ended up with, I think what they call Irish triplets. (laughs) Well, actually, technically, I think that's every nine months, right? So we had three kids under three and a half. So, uh, Emily and Brandon came along and, and, uh, Connor's, you know, he's a young man with autism who lives with us at home today and is working in the community, um, at the local supermarket and, uh, taking care of business at home. He does all the maintenance and, uh, snow cleaning and lawn mowing while I'm traveling. Um, and, uh, Emmy and Brandon are off in their careers, respectively. Uh, special ed, uh, behavioral health is Emmy's passion, and Brandon's a data engineer. And I can proudly say that all of them—Jenny, Connor, Emmy, and Brandon—have all been a big part of our success, helping in one way or the other with, uh, you know, making games.
18: Yeah. So. Oh, absolutely! I think we talked a little bit about the importance of a support system, specifically the family support system. Um, I want to say it was two weeks ago, but it might have been last week where we talked specifically about that. And and you're right; you're reminding me of of kind of our you know mm-hmm. connections there because I was I was I got married the day before I turned 22, and then you know my son was born about 18 months later. So you know not as quickly as you, but. You know, relatively quickly. We did then take a break in between the first one and the second one. It's crazy to see, you know, how they flourish, the difficulties that they have. You know, my daughter has some some difficulties, uh, not on the autism spectrum, but you know, some of those t- same types of difficulties. But they figure out a way to to work through it. And, and having the support system with parents who are all in and helping them to to work through that um, it is a big part of that. So,
20: yeah, it's. And it's, there's a lot to learn as parents too, you know, helping any child, you know, through, through school, homework, sports, friendships. When there's someone with a difference involved, it it's, you get even closer to how things work, how the educational system works, how, you know, connecting dots on the medical care front that you may have ignored or, or not needed to, you know, advocate and understand these things. And so, um, you know, we've learned a lot, my wife and I, and, and Connor teaches, I think, you know, in this context of being an entrepreneur, uh, I get asked often why jump in and put a lot, a lot at risk. And I look at Connor each day and I'm reminded that life is fragile. You know, he's delightful and has so much potential and shares so much with the world, but he has limits and I'm fortunate not to have those limits. So I think it's that sort of sense of, understanding the privileges that I have and sort of the responsibility to wake up every day to do my best and taking some financial risk, well, maybe a lot more risk than I had hoped, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just life, you know, is, is the, you know, the ultimate risk. And so the risk of not doing something or living to my potential is something that drives me each day because of all my kids. And and certainly, especially because of Connor. Yeah.
18: Yeah. Well, speaking from experience, I would say that it's probably a lot more financial risk than Jenny wishes you would have taken <laughs> because I know that my uh, wife has had that experience.
20: Yeah, I think on page 3 of my notes here I <laughs> talk about the first promise of many I started to break, what's, you know, it's <laughs> like hey, we're going to do this and here's the plan. Yeah. And then, you know, the plan the plan uh changes substantially. But and actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I was first deciding to take the step, my attorney at the time, uh, we were having dinner and he said, you know, I have one question. And the question is, is, is Ginny on board? Is your wife, you know, uh, you know, is she ready to be with you on this? And, and, you know, the answer was a fast yes. We had talked a lot about it and, you know, it was time, it was time to and of course that was moons ago and it was it was a different context. It was a different risk I was setting out to take. So things have changed a bit since then, but but I won't, won't forget that question. I've asked it of a few other entrepreneurs. You know, the, there's that pay it forward sort of if someone reaches out to me to have a meeting and I'm always surprised because I don't feel that I have a lot to share, but there are things to share. There's some arrows, you know, uh, in the back and leg and front and everywhere. And so just talking a little bit about risk and, and uh, you know, uh, your business might be very different than mine, but there's certain shared experiences. And, and so, but coming back to that question, you know, are the people that depend on you or the people that are side by side with you? Are they, are they on board? You know, because sometimes you can't do this for the reward. You know, we all aspire to something and exit unlocking value. That's, that's what you guys do and help, help people and families to, to do, it doesn't always work out that way. So if that's your only goal, uh, you know, another wise person told me it's, it's, it, it, how do you then deal with the setbacks, you know, and, and the long nights where you feel that you might not make it. Yeah. Um, if, if your goal is, you know, a particular number, it, it, you know, my, my goal is to create value and create wealth, but, but so, but it's not the one thing that drives me. And so it's, it's, um, you know those conversations about family, you know, are the people you love on board, because uh, it does get hard and lonely.
18: No, no doubt about it. So, one last comment that uh, that I'll make about the personal side—that's just kind of a tie-in that I didn't realize we had—is you know, you mentioned Emmy working with special needs children or adults. Um, my my daughter is studying to be an occupational therapist and and wants to and is currently working at a at a facility that works with special needs adults to you know, tr- do job training and different things like that to, to give them the ability to be as self-sufficient as possible as, as whatever their disability allows. So that's kind of a that's cool awesome. tie-in that we've got yeah, as well. Great. Yeah, that's great. Dynamite. Yeah. So Landon, in, introduce Tom and how you know Tom. You guys have known each other for a while before the show as well.
19: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll just make a a, a quick comment. Um, <clears throat> Tom, you, you made a comment a minute or two ago about People uh, that approach you and ask for a conversation, and you 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 humbly follow that up with, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I have a lot to offer. And aside from your uh, really cool professional background and in the story that we're going to have you unpack when it came to starting your business, you know, Tom, you you've got a really special kind of presence to you that's uh, really kind and, and welcoming, and you know, you've got great great spirits and a great, you know, uh, outlook and, and personality. So I uh, just want to make sure that we we highlight that real quick before we move on, because uh, I don't know Tom super duper well, but but I know him well enough to know that uh, he's a great guy and he's got a great story and uh, somebody that really, you know, that, that really has a, a deep passion for what he's doing. So we're we're really excited to have you. And thanks again for joining Tom.
20: Well, thank you, Landon. I appreciate that.
19: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, so Tom and I go back maybe uh, maybe eighteen or twenty four months, and we actually were introduced. Uh, we went through a a program together, but on uh, uh, on different different aisles. So it was a a program that's put on by a guy named uh, Jeff out in Las Vegas, and the program's called Angel and Beat. And there's two aspects to the program. There is the the founder side of the program. And then there is the investor side of the program. That world, the the world of angel investing was, you know, was was new to me. But my experience going through that program was really, really positive. I really enjoyed it a lot. I was a little bit uh, more limited as to my participation just due to the the industry that I'm that I'm in but I was able to get you know educated around kind of the angel investing approach and how to look at companies and what questions to ask and what things to consider and and then you know learning how to package that all together to make an informed you know investment decision into startups or or relatively new companies and then Tom was on the other side of that fence, participating as a um you know as a as a founder, so that's how we kind of came uh in in connection with one another but uh yeah, I mean Tom, if you wanna comment on on the program real quick, I know that I've been getting a lot of emails from Jeff and just kind of more uh specific to our our Nevada listeners, but I think they're about to roll out that program once again. But uh, you know, obviously, with with new investors and new founders.
20: Yeah, Landon. A little bit of story backstory there is that our, our company. I'm, I'm still. We're based in Cleveland, Ohio. That's that's where uh, one you know foot of our our structure resides, and then we have teammates in the Bay Area, the Tahoe area now. Thanks to COVID, a few folks fled up the hill and. And uh, actually had a, a an office presence presence in Las Vegas, so, so I had been co located pre COVID. So I think it was March 14th where I decided to uh, unilocate back to Ohio or whatever. <laughs> 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 Jumped in my car and drove drove home with a box of sanit- you know sanitizing wipes. But uh, the so startup NV the so being a, a company that had a presence, a startup company that had a presence in Nevada we were active with networking, have been, and, and still are, and and the opportunity to um, sort of join this pitch competition. Competitions are tough, right? They're uh, the uh, the very wide variety of, of deal types, uh, but we, we've got a great story and, and thought we'd jump in and tell it. And then unfortunately, very early in the pitching, I think I, I'd made it to the finals or semifinals or something, and then my mother passed away after a long illness. And so I'm afraid I, I put business in the backseat and didn't do too well in the, uh, you know, in the follow through of, uh, of all the, you know, due diligence and, uh, follow-up pitching to the, to the group. But I believe they selected a Las Vegas company that I would have selected if I hadn't selected my own company. So I, th- I think the process worked out fairly well and the angels went through a nice, nice diligence process and it, and, and it's, um, it was interesting as a founder, um, to, to see the commitment to training, really uh, training may be the wrong word, but, uh, developing and, and sort of bringing, ex- uh, investing experience to a, a very wide range of angel investors who had never invested before. And, and so it was, you know, I enjoyed participating and had to sort of back out toward the end, but that's a little bit of my perspective on that
19: one. Yeah. 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 It was, it was great. I I really enjoyed it. I'll tell you something that one of my big takeaways from that was the ongoing and newly found at the time respect that I have for founders as they go through the due diligence process with, with investors. I mean, uh, the, the amount of time and effort and resources that, that you and, you know, the other founders had to, to go through, uh, <laughs> with it's, us it's right? a lot yeah it it is yeah
20: and it and and that you know it wasn't a lot just because of the requirements of that program, it's a lot you know period to to tell the story to to talk with potential investors, whether they're individual angel investors or institutional investors, you know there's the the story, and then there's the all the details the you know the data room of you know, everything from cap tables to financial projections to, you know, market research. And, you know, I can only imagine as, as investors, the, the variety of, you know, preparedness or, or depth of the materials available. I will say this, I, uh, while I, I, missed the opportunity to really put wood on the ball with that pitch, the, a lot of the work that I had put together as a runway towards those finals really paid off because I ended up closing my bridge round within uh, three or four weeks with a lot of the material that we had thrown together with, with, uh, some, you know, some angel investors that, uh, I think there was, now there was not one that I had met through the process, but, but it was just all tangential because we're, you know, well, I'm always out there pitching. So, so anyway, right. the, the, the process, right. The, right. the, the, the rigor of being prepared to tell your story and have the, foundational details to back it up. It was a lot of work.
19: I yeah, wouldn't say it well, was. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you know, you, you ran into some challenges, but, uh, but you, you found the silver lining. So that's, that's great. So, yeah. So Tom, talk, talk to us about your professional background and then, uh, you know, lead, lead into the, the conversation, you know, with, with your wife, which was around, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm gonna do this new thing, and this is what it looks and feels like and then uh yeah, tell us about how you how you started your company
20: so I've got a degree in accounting uh actually I went to a great accounting program in the state of Ohio John Carroll University. I believe they're always it's a private university, but always one or two right up there with Ohio State and then a couple others, and proud to graduate near the top of my class. In fact, I had a job offer from Ernst and Young. I'd interned there and, and, um, I didn't take the job and, and they were a bit surprised, but I was, uh, you know, I just wasn't sure about the career. And, and and I was at an early, uh, very early midlife crisis of, wow, I've spent a lot of money on, on this education. Uh, and, you know, funding my own tuition bill, living at home, buying a car and driving back and forth and feeling uh, like my ladder was leaning against the wrong tree. Uh, and, and that's the benefit of interning, right? I, I, I learned, uh, either, and, and I, I would have come back around, I think, and taken, uh, taken the job. I, I bought myself a little bit of time and took a job with a, a very small company that was, frankly, it was near my home. I was living with my parents and it was convenient sort of commuting stop back and forth to school. And 10 years later, uh, you know, I started at that company as a, as a co-op intern student. They offered me a full-time job while I was still in college. And 10 years later, I left the company as executive VP of global supply chain at the grand old age of 28 or 29 or something. And And I'd love to say I was really great at my job, but I was... And I, you know, I worked hard and I, I, th- I think I was, you know, I was, I was good at what I did, but it, it also right place, right time. You know, the company when I started was 40, 45 million in annual sales. And when I left, it was 225 million or so. And it had been sold. The entrepreneur exited uh, to a global conglomerate. And so I was front row seat to what it takes to build value. And deliver an exit in the middle market, so nine figure sale of a company, and frankly, it paid off a lot of those uh, credit cards where the diapers and the formula were being charged. (laughs) So I think that was something you talked about, Austin. You know, so just a great ride, and I learned learned a lot. Actually, uh, the owner of the company and 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 his family are uh, became great friends. Uh, The owner passed away a few years ago, but together we wrote a book a, a summary just a, a digest of leadership and and what it took to to build that company and had a lot of fun but I also had a lot of doubts um so here I was pushing you know 30 and not sure if I succeeded you know because of my own talent or if it was entirely right place right time and so struck out to uh, to find new opportunities and found my way into a food manufacturing business that at the time was about 60 million in sales. And here I took the role of, had responsibility for supply chain, but also sales and marketing, uh, which was new for me. And then that company went from 60 to 200 million in five years. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, again, just hung on and in both companies, you know, both entrepreneurs, very different styles, um, very uh, single-minded and committed to creating value. Um, both very product and industry faced. Learned a lot about what it takes to to stay focused and succeed and, and create value. But and and proud to be not just a front row seat, but a sort of inner circle executive in in both experiences and and really learn how hard it is to make decisions. You know how how painful it can be when the budget doesn't add up. Um, I mean, these are stories of growth and success and, and two middle market exits that are greater than nine figures each, but also there were, you know, reductions in force and there were budget misses and there were, you know, there was some shouting and wailing and gnashing of teeth now and then. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work. And so, you know, I rolled out of that one and then, and, and had, you know, as an executive, that, that, that company was sold. And so I had sort of a, you know, an incentive basis of, you know, I wasn't a founder, didn't contribute cash, but, you know, was able to take a breath and think hard about what I wanted to do next and decided to put a small pledge fund together where I lined up some friends and in industry relationships to, who pledged to support uh, me, if I was able to source, uh, uh, an acquisition, a, a small company to buy. And we found one very quickly. I had a pretty short leash. I wasn't going to sit on the sidelines too long. And it was actually job hunting or beginning to job hunt at the same time. And, and so we bought me and I, I think six or probably about six other folks. We, we threw some money into a hat and bought a small company. It was bankrupt. Uh, we, we bought the note, away from its bank and, you know, had all the math, all the you know, the working capital is worth this and that and projections and whatnot. And then the one thing we did not uh, project was that three weeks later, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the first lesson of uh, business ownership was you can't unbuy something. It was rough. Uh, the first of many promises I broke to my wife was to start spending our IRA to make payroll. I mean, this this was a consumer products wholesaler. We had, our customers were Walmart, uh, Target, Walgreens. But they all turned off their purchase order systems. Um, not sure how many folks remember or want to remember that, you know, those months were, were pretty pretty awful. So, uh, but, you know, I think maybe a little bit of, uh, yeah, I, there's probably an opportunity to tell my friends and investors investors, no moss after six, nine, 12 months, but whether it was the, the Irish Catholic guilt of, uh, you know, trudging through this and and getting to the other side. I mean, my dad is a cement mason, was a cement mason, my mother and RN, I mean, everybody worked hard in our family. And so giving up on something wasn't, uh, wasn't top of mind, you know, getting to the other side and having belief in our team and in our products that that's, that was what was front of mind. And we made it through that period. The company sold uh, playing cards and little plastic chips and um, was sort of adjacent to the, the gaming category at retail. Along the way, we met uh, I met uh, the inventor of the, the dice that are now the foundation of our company. We chose to make some investments, significant investments, to commercialize the, the product as a board game for family fun, retail retail sales and sold a, the lights out a quarter of a million games in just a handful of years, which was just, uh, not often heard of in, in the world of, of, board game sales. And, but it was, su- it was super cash hungry and we had one item, it's, you know, one item at Walmart, it's really tough to balance costs and profits and, you know, you need really a portfolio that approach transfers well beyond just investment management, right? I mean, every company has a, its portfolio of products and product lines, and, you're, and we didn't have that. We had one thing. But along the way, we started hearing and having sort of expressions of interest from folks in the gaming, the greater gaming industry, the, the, I, I should say, the video gaming industry and the casino gaming industry if our company was a different size and scale or we had more access to cash at the time maybe we would have tried to do two things at once but there is a saying that you know a man with one ass can only ride one horse and so we we decided slowly pivot away from board gaming and into video gaming and more specifically the idea was to pivot into uh, prototyping and licensing and developing um uh, content ideas uh you know games discrete games featuring our our ip Uh, that's evolved a lot since that pivot it's uh, now we're a full-fledged developer and about to become a publisher which is very different than making prototypes and licensing those to other people you know if, if if the challenge at walmart is selling one item in the in the game aisle cash flow is tough when everybody only buys that item between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, then the challenge in the casino industry is there's a lot of patents and IP. And so folks aren't so ready to just license what you're doing and to commercialize you. You know, so so we've had to sort of find ways to double back and continue to invest in ourselves and, and bring us to the point where we are today.
18: Yeah. So <clears throat> excuse me, let's let's take an opportunity to just kind of describe quickly, you know high level what it is that you guys do i mean deck of dice i mean there's different games and so forth so give us an idea of you know where we would find the games what what the game is and and what you guys are doing day to day now and what you'll be doing day to day going forward
20: today on the market in the app stores so apple google uh, you can search on a on a game called shake it up shake it up dice it's uh it's it's a mobile game it's a video game that brings to life our the patent and the intellectual property that's at the root of our company and our opportunity. And this is one game, one game of many different games that we can create. Um, listeners can also find it on at shakeitupdice.com. So the so that's the product and and it's available for everyone to download and enjoy. Uh, at the heart of it is A remarkably overdue invention. And and when I brag about the invention, I please understand that I did not invent (laughs) the dice. So I'm bragging for someone else, but at the heart is, is a remarkable invention. That's a set of nine dice, uh, which have 54 collective surfaces, right? So six sides per die times nine. And that's a perfect match for all 52 cards in a deck of playing cards. And a pair of wilds and, and so uh, with our dice, every card from a deck is neatly arranged on all of these 54 surfaces and they're gorgeous. They look amazing. Everybody who sees the physical, and I've got a set in my bag here for you, Austin, but the, 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 everybody who sees they're, they're just gorgeous, but, but beyond looking neat, they deliver the expectations of, uh, the, the, the playing cards have set. So the way I've evolved to tell the story is that playing cards, they're so ubiquitous, right? They, they, they're everywhere, every 99 cents at every checkout counter and costing people a lot more than that at blackjack tables for a long time. And, (laughs) and, and it's, these things, these things are, a thousand years old. I think the earliest evidence of uh, playing cards being in existence is like 900 AD. It was really the advent of the printing press where uh, the, you know, the mass accessibility took root. And for a thousand years, the point of playing card games, whether you're gambling in a game like poker or playing uh, a more casual game like rummy, Having fun with friends over a trick-taking game like euchre or bridge, the the point of all these games is to create matches, matches of ranks, so three of a kind, four of a kind, two pair, or to create sets of dice. Uh, some people call them straight flush hands or royal flush hands. Or in 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 the sport of rummy, it's a run two, three, four of spades. And so the inventor of our dice knew that if if you have a deck of dice and you throw them and you can't do these things that have been done for a thousand years, you know, what's the point? It, 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 if you can't achieve the goals of, of the popular card games, then you only have a, a novelty. And, and so in a fit of inspiration in one night, uh, the inventor actually chopped up a piece of wood and carved them out in a way that, uh, that arranges the card faces so that if you throw them it's possible to achieve every possible four-of-a-kind, every possible straight flush, every royal flush, every rank. It's possible to achieve a full house hand. You really delivered a an opportunity to deliver the most familiar game outcomes in the history of gaming with a new user experience, a new sort of action and drama of throwing dice instead of being dealt uh, from a deck of cards. And so our opportunity, if you, if, if you step back and you know, I'm not a game player. So I look at this strategically and from a, a business uh, standpoint that there are a lot of games in not just the casino industry, but the casual games industry, solitaire, rummy, even uno is based on crazy eights. And so the legacy of card play powers markets that are together 750 billion and we'll come back to the the markets where we're playing right now but the ubiquity of card play the importance of these achievements sitting at, as a base are a deck of cards which is not a game it's a system or a platform for gaming it's a it's a way it's, the dice by themselves are, are not fun neither is a deck of cards it's the rules of gameplay you know, the social component of how those rules draw people together. That's, that's what makes a deck of cards fun. And that's what our charter is to make our dice fun to, to leverage this patent in a way that, that delivers the kind of gameplay that, that delights our players. And so listeners can download one game that we've released, which is best described as Yahtzee or Bunko or Farkle meets video poker you know, it's just blending familiar mechanics, but that's one of many different things we can do. We can create games that are more like bingo, uh, games that are a blend of Kino and video poker, or games that are very rummy like, or matching like go fish. So there's this long, uh, there's this whole sort of, uh, our vision is to create and build this family of evergreen games in and char- over time. And the hard part for us has been deciding where to start, And you know, so the burden of choice and, and a lot, you know, our business model depends on our first game better be good. <laughs> 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 Can't talk about the 10th until, you know, until um, number one is, to, is out there kicking ass.
18: Yeah, no doubt. So I, I, I will tell you that your description of shake it up dice, right. In my mind, I was envisioning playing Yahtzee. And I played Yahtzee as a kid a ton with my grandparents. We'd go camping and we'd play Yahtzee in the RV or, you know, out on the patio or whatever. And so the description made sense to me before you even made that, you know, that comparison. So I think that for me, that says that you're on the right track. So I want to unpack a little bit more about what that means. You know, there's there's options, obviously, digital and throwing actual live dice. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. We'll share a quick call to action and then Landon will bring us back from break and we'll we'll jump into kind of what the future holds and and where it goes digital or or physical. Awesome. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a Tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit, and if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All
19: right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here with Tom Donlin, Decadice Gaming, having a great conversation tom tell us about shake it up dice so you just alluded to the fact that you've got to have game number 1 solid before you talk about game number 10 so is is shake it up dice is that number 1 is that kind of your foundational game i guess if that's the right word
20: it is landon and it it, it has roots in fact, uh, heavy roots with the board game that we worked to commercialize with the inventor. And and I actually want to talk about her for a moment and then run down this trail of, of the game design. But a woman named Carmelin Calvert invented these dice and she was, unfortunately, she she passed away a few years ago, but probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered and um yet someone who lived in the country and had a, a, a high school degree and really just sort of presented as um you know she wrote an email to me submitting her game and i i, I deleted it and my, my uh you know um it just for, partly just was lost on me i think but you know the pitch the art of you know telling your story maybe carmelin didn't pull my strings the right way but at the time, our marketing director read the email and came into my office and said, "You know, dude, did you read this thing?" And, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, at the time, her patent was pending, so we actually helped shepherd things along. But at the she she had an idea everyone should have, and it it always fascinates me how we talked about cards being a thousand years old. Well, dice are six thousand years old, I think. So so these these two systems, right? They're both gaming systems have been seen around town together for a long time so you know putting them together is a chocolate meets peanut butter moment and and carmelin had it and she she had this visual intelligence where she could sort of pick these things down out of her brain and and put them on on and and so the she she came to me with at least six different game designs she had one in particular that she had been testing on her own with her own budget and so we she we we worked to build around that and and the Yahtzee thing, it was rolling dice three times to kind of put together uh, your hand or a strategy seems natural. It, it kind of takes, takes the pay table out of the question. I mean, it's a, it becomes a more, you know, more social dynamic. It puts a little more control in the player. And in, in a table game setting, it's perfectly natural. And so we ran down that trail. Well, on the digital side, when we pivoted to get into video gaming, it wasn't so clear that that was the place to start to me and the team that we started to build is amazing. I mean, we, we've got just an amazing set of folks, some of the most legendary and experienced uh, game design and game development folks in the industry. And, and so chewing on this, right, we, we could, we can do a slot machine with these, so you can throw them down and you you can, you can have uh, the universe of results and, 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 and craft a pay table against that. And digitally, We actually prototype that and it looks pretty cool, but is it better than, you know, this, this sort of Yahtzee mechanic? That's, that's a question. And so we, we, we spent a lot of time on design and focus grouping and research, but darn it, if every time we didn't have a conversation with someone in the industry on the video game side or the casino side, they would naturally grab the physical dice and throw them on the table and hold some and re-roll the rest. So it just, it's just clear that somewhere in our human dna is this desire to roll dice three times (laughs) so so we stopped fighting we've we've prototyped a dozen different types of games and i expect that five ten years ago you guys will have seen all of them on the market but but starting with this one it's classic and it's 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 got elements of it's and it's not just yahtzee it's it's games like bunko and farkle that and, and kismet there's this long tail of, you know, roll these dice three times. And then there's poker, video poker. Pok- poker is probably the most g- played game on the planet through time. Uh, video poker certainly probably the most successful casino game of all time. And so blending elements of that, you know, that's, that's what we're doing with Shake It Up. And our early metrics are dynamite. I mean, we're, we're getting some phenomenal depth of playtime and engagement. From our players and delighted with that sort of uh proof of concept and and um, proof of appeal but never gaming is you, you don't throw a mobile game out there and and watch what happens it's not like a, a retail uh physical product it's it's a it's a live service it's a SaaS business uh where you operate the product you run the servers you make changes to the game you issue updates players always want new and fresh content Uh, it's games as a service or gas is the uh, acronym g-a-a-s but it's uh it's so we're what we're learning is you know there are some players who love poker and aren't afraid of that dynamic but how do we you know we're sort of steering the game more towards uh yahtzee meets rummy or you know sort of a blend of rummy and poker because there's a lot of casual players out there who will play solitaire you know play the lights out and so we want to through time make sure this game appeals you know to the deepest part of the market Uh, everybody who enjoys card or dice games not just poker players and so starting with this very natural tendency for people to roll three three times uh to do a thing you know our journey is about simplifying that thing presenting the goals to the player in a very um, accessible and intuitive and, and very simple manner um taking the edge off you know giving something for everyone giving something that feels a little bit like poker to poker players but can be accessible to players who prefer other types of card games so that's where where we are with the product is really tuning and investing in this experience you know i think that um maybe to put an exclamation point on that on the market right now is very much what we call a, a minimum viable product it's it's it, it's not it, it it's 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 very playable very enjoyable and is designed to prove the the very core of the experience and we've nailed it uh we're, we're getting 20 to 25 minutes per day per player i'd love to uh, draw the analogy to seinfeld who is a billionaire by getting 20 to 25 minutes a week from people willing to sit and watch his sitcom so our business is entertainment you know so gluing your eyes and your attention to uh to a small screen to our form of entertainment that's the trick and so how do we create that near miss how do we give you the user experience of throwing dice digitally. How do we, uh, what, you know, how do we blend this poker versus rummy, you know, making the game accessible to people? It's that's, that's what we're doing now is, is, is building around this incredible amount of time that we're seeing from players to make sure we build and widen the net of our audience and build the types of systems that games like this depend upon to keep people for 30 60 90 120 days you know there's a long tail here and so it's building all of those features to keep people engaged a lot of them have nothing to do with yahtzee or poker or rummy they have to do with collecting things building metagame journeys inside the game but i'm getting a little technical here so i'll I'll kind of back (laughs) up and So Landon, that was a long answer to your question about, uh, you know, starting with Yahtzee and I dialed back to talk about the inventor and and come roaring back to this game mechanic.
19: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It, it helps to paint the, paint the picture, which is, uh, which is always helpful. So appreciate that. All right. So talk to us about kind of what, what's going on today. I think you've got a, a licensing deal with a casino operator. I know you've got some, some, uh, some great, you know, really exciting plans for growth. So kind of talk to us about, you know, what, what's going on with the company today and what is the, what's the pathway look like, you know, going into the future?
20: We released Shake It Up just about a year ago and we came to market, we we're, we're a I think I touched earlier on the fact that we we stepped out on this journey believing we would be more of a licensor, you know, a, a creator, uh, making concepts and prototypes and, and licensing those. And then we realized that we needed to be a full-fledged developer. And we expanded our team to put together, you know, the full... Complement of design, production, and engineering resources, and and we built Shake It Up and got it to the market. And, and actually, the stepping stones to get to market, we had released a, a a prototype via Facebook in 2018-19 that grabbed half a million players quickly and and proved it was super bare bones. Though we, we it was like, wow, okay, well, we've got something here, and, but we've got to keep building around this. And then, and then we turned around and we licensed, we call it a mini game, but it's a, it's, it's a game. It's the same game mechanic, the same three roles to do a thing. It's just a quick play version and, and uh, folks can, you can find the game inside other mobile games. I won't name too many names right now to confuse the issue. But if you download a, a social casino game, there's, there's games on the market that are virtual gambling there that's not real money it's fictitious coins you can go into these games and and play slot machines uh video poker blackjack and in a few of them you can find shake it up you know sitting there and again it just popped and uh just consistent user uh time and engagement and so these were stepping stones that helped us uh really round out the design for our own product that we got to market and you know covid came along and, and, in the gaming industry, it, it, if you were on the market, had eyeballs and an audience that it just, the, the, uh, you know, the stay at home orders really drove a lot, a lot of growth in interactive entertainment. And for us, it was a little bit of a headwind because getting the team together, you know, executing. building uh, raising capital, you know, lots of things that are just better done in person and with travel were just more difficult for us, but it did put a little wind in our sail in terms of testing and, um, you know, getting in front of users and, and having less expensive uh, market tests. So, you know, 2021 was all about getting the product out there, finding what it did well and, and, and what could be improved. And so throughout this year we've methodically improved our, I mentioned 20 to 25 minutes. We happen to know that for people who spend money in the game, it's closer to 26 or 28 minutes. So, you know, tuning our dashboards, understanding the players at a granular level, who's not paying, who's paying, who's watching ads. We we have a system where you can opt in to watch advertising to get rewards very common in the industry some of your listeners may not be aware that that's a thing that's a way to make make money if if i can't get you to buy this thing maybe you'll spend 30 seconds watching a video to get to get one of those things and people do it and we and we know who's buying who's watching ads who's doing both and it's help, and and so as we've continued to build the product we're doing so with intelligence and we're we're, we're building with a purpose to maximize Really, the maximize the behavior of the folks that want to spend money in the game. Now, I should step back and say, in mobile games, the model, our model is uh, it's called free to play. It's kind of a misnomer. It's really more of a free to install, and yeah, you can play for free if you really want to grind it out. You you can just in in our game can appeal to to players who don't want to spend money, but the game sort of drives uh, a certain type of competitive behavior and a certain type of impatience with a small set of players who are willing to pay five bucks a week you know it's not a subscription but the, the the way players consume the game and i won't get into the technicals but it's it's we offer virtual goods that can help you win you know that can help you compete that we sell coins where you can pretend to gamble against your friends. And, you know, these are things people, uh, you know, a, a very small set of people, but a very important set of people spend money on. It's fascinating because those players then carry the rest of the players who, who don't spend as much money or any money. But I, I, I liken it to back to Walmart and retail GameStop, right? You could go and buy a, a cartridge for, console or a CD and it was a defined price right it's 14.99 for this CD or 60 bucks for this call of duty well what mobile gaming attempts to do it's it's mobile gaming is really a throwback to arcade gaming where if you remember or have seen you know uh, TV shows where people are putting quarters in, and just trying to keep going and get to the next level and and that's that's what a mobile game's doing except you're connected to Apple's wallet or Google Google's uh, payment system. And so you replenish what you need and you keep going. And, and, and so our game ultimately, you know, if it costs us eight bucks to bring in a player, we need to make 10 on average. If it costs us a dollar, we need to make a dollar 50, you know, so, so the industry model is how do I get the, these micro transactions, these sort of, um, you know, purchases from this cohort of players who will, will purchase And how can I get enough so that the, you know, on an average basis, I'm I'm making more revenue per player than it cost me to bring those players into the game. So very, ultimately, very similar to selling a CD, except that the live ops part, you know, the constantly tuning the game. Uh, So again, Landon, long answer. And maybe I didn't even answer your question, but the, the idea here is that we have spent the year perfecting would be the wrong term but building and optimizing and learning and and doing it again you know w- understanding our user behavior and creating a game that can be profitable at scale and we're we're at a point where we believe we've done that where our game is ready for scale so now what we are considering going out and raising a marketing fund where we dump gas on the sparks right if we're if we're showing that yeah we can bring in a player for a buck 50 and or a buck and make a buck 50 or whatever the numbers are, right? There's a, a profit spread. Let's bring in the bucket of gas. Well, again, we're, we made the transition from licensing and prototyping to development. So, you know, can we just wave a wand and become expert at marketing and publishing? The answer is maybe with time and money and the right partnerships, so we're considering that. But in the meantime, our story has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And so one of the top casino operators in the industry has, uh, one of several actually, uh, you know, through our shoe leather, we've been pitching and sort of keeping industry connections aware of our progress. And, and one of the top casino operators in the world decided to uh, do a licensing deal essentially where, uh, we're going to build a version of our of shake it up in in their likeness and and bring a, a licensed product to market uh, much like a white label uh, solution but we'll will bring their brand to market while we continue to operate and potentially continue to publish our own brand so so our business model is evolving and that's part of why I'm here out west you know probably not getting ready to co-locate again but to continue to you know, Sort of cement our new path forward from here, and you know, build the partnerships that it's going to take to get there. You know, the casino operator, it, they it's um it's worth I, I, it's confidential deal until uh, the game launch is scheduled uh, before June, and so we'll be talking a lot about it uh, closer to launch timing or just after. But but in the meantime, you know, it's it's worth explaining that. Casino operators are interested in the casual market for social mobile video games because if there are people who are out there pretending to gamble, they would like that market share. Because from a loyalty and a marketing standpoint, if players can experience their brands uh, and there can be you know the right tools and, and cross-promotional techniques to to bring those players into the front door or into the real money online gambling uh sites that exist in states like New Jersey then it's it's in the interest of most casino operators to have a kind of an omni channel or a you know this strategy where they're 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 doing things that are not related to gambling but are absolutely related to growing their audience and expressing their brand yep. and so so we begin 2022 with a relationship to bring a, a non gambling version of shake it up to market by mid year, but also really excited about all of the cross promotional games we can do uh, all, you know, putting real dice potentially in, in the, you know, the foyer the front lobby of casinos, putting content on slot machines, you know, getting into online real money gambling. So, so we're focused on social, We've got an important deal bringing us to market to help penetrate market and social, and you know from there, hopefully the sky is the limit into these other markets.
18: Yeah, I think obviously the the future is bright. There's a there's probably at least another hour of content that we could discuss on you know where you're going with this and and what the opportunities are. And so, especially with the launch of the licensing deal around June. You know i'll just throw out there now it'd be great to have you back on third or fourth quarter and kind of give us an update on on where you are because i i do feel like there's so many other things we could talk about i mean you guys are a virtual team from the get-go that we didn't have time to talk about today and so um we'd, we'd love to have you back in in six months or so and kind of get an update on where you are awesome i'd but, love to do it all right but at this point we're we're out of time unfortunately um the 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 good part of that is we don't have to look at landing on screen any longer so we can move on with the rest of our day and, and look at better things uh, going forward. But uh, we really appreciate the conversation, Tom. We've we've learned a lot. Um, I feel like I this is a, an area that I know a decent amount about, but there are so many things that you taught me today that uh, that I know our listeners will enjoy listening to as well. So thanks for being here. Well, let, let's give you a last uh, opportunity to just kind of sh- throw out the websites, where they can find you, best places to to find you personally as well as the the game and the company
20: great yeah shake it shake it up dice and uh also just sh- searching on shake it up dice in uh, apple's app store or the google play store uh, as far as me it's uh tom donnellan at uh you know linkedin just uh d-o-n-e-l-a-n pretty easy to find awesome. and i think that's it
18: awesome I was gonna say maybe you could get Taylor Swift, but isn't her show isn't her her song "Shake It Off," or is is that Taylor Swift? Yeah, just yeah, I think just so. a, just a couple words, couple letters off. What's that? No.
19: Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. I don't know anything about pop culture, and so I, 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 it sounds about right. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, Tom really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot as well. And, uh, we appreciate you being here and and look forward to, uh, following your continued success. So thank you.
20: Thank you both. Really enjoyed being here. Thank you.
17: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance.
12: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
21: If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in.
9: This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at FCBradio.com. FCB. (laughs)
22: Hey, this is breaking news. This is your man Jeff Brown with breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Tom Brady, the GOAT, has officially retired from the NFL after playing 22 seasons, winning 5 Super Bowls, 5 MV- MVPs and uh Super Bowl MVPs and 3 regular season MVPs. Man, listen. Tom Brady, best wishes to you and your family on your new journey. Hey, listen, Stay right here. Don't go back. Right now, we got to go to the Jeff Brown Show. What's going on, everybody? This your boy, JB, in the building, the host with the most. And you tune in to another hot episode of the Jeff Brown Show. Got my, my partner in the crowd with me today, Mr. Darvio Morrow. We call him, hey, Reverend Duro. We call him the <laughs> kingpin, whatever it is, even Mr. <laughs> Liberty. However you feel today, that's <laughs> how you address this, man. You know what I'm saying? You do what we do. You know what I mean? so it's all good what's up brother how you doing what's up
23: what's up jeff you getting ready for this snow man it's a damn shame man i'm sick of it <laughs> i know i'm about to go as soon as this show is over i'm about to go to the store and buy everything in bulk <laughs> listen, listen to me man you
22: want to hear something crazy though for real for real all
23: right
22: so my power our, we had a power outage last night oh really yeah, in my condo, my place. I'm like, man, so I'm sitting, I cuz I I, I so, a lot of time I fall asleep on my couch. Don't ask right. me why, I just do, man. So all I'm doing is watching um I'm watching Leak the Weapons, uh the movie number 2. And all of a sudden, my power, I see my TV, my my, my power just flick 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 and it just goes out, man. They didn't restore it until this morning. Wow. And when I try to tell you it was cold in the house. It was cold, man, uh, in my house, man, for real. So, um, Lord, I just pray that we don't have no issues, man, like that with this with this ice storm and snowstorm that's coming. You know. Um,
23: yeah, because it's uh it's supposed to be pretty bad. It's gonna be yeah,
22: a big one. yeah, man. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah it's supposed to be crazy. And also too, man, we got a big show coming up today as well. Uh, we got Steve Holman. From uh, Smart Drive USA, he's the CEO of Smart Drive USA and Drive My Vehicle. Got a phenomenal story. And uh, one of his testimonials is coming on the show that I actually saw one of my promotions via social media and um from what i understand she's happy with the service and happy with the vehicle so i'm always using my platform as you know uh darvio you do the same we promote you know local businesses black especially black owned businesses uh that yeah. are doing good work in our community that's how we thrive you know what i mean so our, our platforms are, are are blessed to be able to reach people man so i'm excited about that but meanwhile man um Many of you probably heard Tom Brady, the GOAT, Ugh. said it said he's done. I know, Darby o. You still rooting for Baker Mayfield. I got you. But listen, today is about Tom Brady, man. You know what I'm saying? Today is Tom Brady Day. We appreciate the work, the body of work, the greatness, man, for 22-plus seasons, seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time – Regular season MVP, over eighty four thousand plus yards throughout his career, over six hundred eighty plus touchdowns thrown, man. I mean, what more can you ask for, man? In a quarterback, man. I know, man. You
23: don't want to talk about yeah. it. I get it. Hey, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to be done. Okay, you all right, go ahead, Darby. Go ahead, I Darby. What
22: you gonna say, man? I, I listen, man. I, I, listen, bro. man.
23: Well, well, I, I, I just that, say congratulations to congratulations to Tom Brady on a great career and I hope he enjoys retirement. Nick. Oh man, you
9: just <laughs>
23: such a you <laughs> know
22: what you know you you know what you know what you remind me of. You remind me of those fans that you know they see greatness but don't recognize it and don't want to uh-huh. accept it. It's cool. <laughs> Oh, he's okay. Man's okay. He's number one in every category. Known to, hey, he's, man's number one in every category known to football, okay?
3: <laughs> S- since auto Graham, Yikes. okay?
22: Since auto Graham. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, man. This man is number one in every phase of football as it relates to leadership, competition, uh, being a quarterback. Oh, my God. And the reason they lost wasn't because of Tom Brady. And I want to put it out there. The defensive Uh-oh. play call cost Uh-oh. them that damn game. Why would you blitz, do a safety blitz <laughs> when you know this man been catching the ball all night long, and you are gonna do one on one coverage on this man with 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 one of the week with one of your struggling D backs? Stop playing. You let Matt Stafford get that off on the go.
23: This was
22: yeah. So I, 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 you guess what though? You know what? Tom Brady, man, much love to you, brother. My prayers are with you, you and your family, Giselle, the kids, your dad, your mom, everybody, man. Listen, Tom Brady, you deserve it, brother. And guess what? If you just want to come back and just show him one more time, definitely come on back. But if not, you can definitely, you have definitely earned your way to walk off into the sunset, man, because you've definitely. Um, made a mark on this league uh, and uh, and the sports entertainment world uh, abroad. So we appreciate you, Tom Brady. With that said, man, this is going to be a dead hot topic as well. Uh, uh, Miss USA, man, plunges to her death, bro. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, is so sad, man. Um, New York, uh, she fell. She jumped off a 30-story building. To her death, man. I mean, uh, this really... Opens our eyes to the seriousness of 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 what uh, has been going on with a lot of people committing suicide, man. Uh, the mental stress and the mental illnesses that people it's are been really on the rise doing.
23: during. It's, it's been on the yeah, rise since the pandemic, yeah.
22: And it's and it's really taking its toll, man. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy, brother. That that you know that yeah. that this is happening and such a bright future, man. And just just go yes, so man
3: she was yeah, young man. Yeah. And yeah yeah i yeah. think
23: so, i think part of it man is and, and few people want to admit this but we're not meant to to spend long periods of time in social isolation you know what i mean a lot of whatever issues that people are dealing with sometimes it can be exacerbated by yeah. the social isolation we see that suicides right. are up drug uh drug abuse and and drug overdose is up um right you see all of these different negative indicators are are like people are really struggling, man. And I think I think it's something that we that we really as a as a country need to 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 start talking about like this, this long period of time of social isolation is not healthy for people.
22: Right. And not only that, uh, let me say this. I agree with you. And here's the other part of it, too, man. This is this could also be Generational, this could be, you know, yeah. something that yeah. you know that has been passed from one generation to another where people have been dealing with this for so long where they really don't deal with it and they really don't talk about it, you know what I mean? And yeah. I would encourage anybody listen, if you are in a place where you feel that you know you feel like giving up or you're going through, listen, it's okay. To go get help, it's okay. I think one of the the, the the problems we also see too, man. I'm gonna say in the black community that we look at, we've we've grown to look at or think it's okay to shame someone who's depressed because they're going to get help. They're going to get. They're going to talk to a psychiatrist. Yeah, them, trying know, to get when, help. And you know, we're saying like, you weak. You know, know like, like, yo, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 man, you, yo, your weak ass. You know, yeah. you you know, come on, man. Let's be real.
23: No, if you need to get like listen. You, you need if help, you need help. If you need help, you need to get some help. Yeah. Yeah. For real.
22: Absolutely, man. You know, for we real. have to stop doing
23: that a uh, villain It's um, not a sign of it's not a sign of weakness. I think absolutely. I think sometimes for us, you know, as black people because of the fact that we've had to deal with so much and go through so much like we we view that as a sign of weakness, but it's not a sign of weakness to be honest enough with yourself and say, "Look, man, I need help."
22: Yeah, and and then we and then and stop vilifying people, man. Stop making people feel inadequate because they they need help or they're expressing that they need help and they're reaching out. Don't smack their hand down, man. Don't 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 dog them. Don't sit up there and belittle them. Listen. Because they'll be the same ones crying
23: yeah. at the funeral, right? they will oh, be the same man. ones crying at You're
22: the funeral. Gotta get right. carried out with the casket. <laughs> right.
23: Put right. them in Absolutely. there with them. Since this they,
22: is like that, then they don't
23: <laughs> no, you don't want to go. No, you just quick, treat them right. Real, real quick for anybody listening, I, I do want to make sure that I get this out. Um, if you are struggling, if you do need help, uh, make sure you call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's one 800 273
22: Y'all already heard it. You know what I'm saying here. First, um, please do not hesitate to call that number. Listen, I pray that, uh, that you have a phenomenal week, phenomenal life, that you watch your dreams become your reality. Listen, we got more to come on the Jeff Brown Show. Coming up is my man, Steve Holman, CEO of Smart Drive USA and Drive My Vehicle. Y'all don't want to miss this interview. This is going to be dope. I love to see black people winning, small business owners winning. So it's a a great feeling. Don't you think, Darby?
23: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's important for our community.
22: Yeah, we'll be right back with more of the Jeff Brown Show. Go subscribe right now on iHeartRadio.
21: If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, When the bills come in, Tech.com.
22: when the money's all
21: gone, Tech.com. can't pay your rent, Tech.com.
15: and when your money's all spent,
12: Tech.com. when your credit card's back, no matter what relief you need, Tech.com. there's one site to see Tech.com.
18: finally Find one website for any debt problem.
5: Call 844 486 1011. 844 486 1011.
14: Is the Jeff Brown Show.
22: And we're back and we're back. Listen, man, I, I'm big on supporting Black-owned businesses. And um, anybody that knows the Jeff Brown Show platform is what we do. You know, Darvio, you're big on that with the Outlaws. Yeah. What we do absolutely. at FCB Radio. Uh, uh, so uh, we are proud to announce a new sponsor for the Jeff Brown Show. And the owner is on with us. And we also have one of... His recent clients who uh, learned about some of the things that he's doing to help people reestablish their credit, uh, build their credit, and get them driving. Uh, we have Mr. Steve Holman, who is the owner and CEO of Smart Drive USA and Drive My Vehicle. What's going on, Steve? Everything's great. Wonderful. What's going on, Jeff Brown? How are you? Everything. I'm good, bro. I'm good, man. Love your energy, man. Uh, tell me a little bit about. Tell Me a little bit about Smart Drive USA and talk to me a little bit about uh, uh, Drive My Vehicle. And uh, we're gonna still get a little bit more into it later in the show, but just kind of give me a brief uh, introduction on that because I definitely want to hear about uh, hear from Ashley and her experience um, uh, dealing with you and, and, and how that all worked out.
24: Well, Jeff, I'll let me tell you, man, I've been in the business, the car business, since 1996. And I've been selling new unused cars from these dealerships for years. So I finally got my own business, right? So I, I pretty much narrowed it down to, we need the money first, instead of needing the car. I used to turn people away for years. They used to go out on the car lot and, and look at vehicles and wanted to take it for a test drive. But lo and behold, I had to say, you know what? That car is not a fit for you. So I started Smart Drive USA. And what Smart Drive USA does is, we actually get you the money first. You know what? You don't even have to come in. We do an application over the phone and get you approved, and we shoot you some pictures of some cars that you selected. And if you like those pictures, you come in with those stipulations as in, you know, a W-2 um, driver's license insurance. And once you get here, we go for a drive in the vehicle, and if you like it, you take it home. You're already approved. That's the fantastic mm. part about this.
22: You're already approved. So, so it, pretty much cuts, it, it pretty much cuts to the chase for real, and it kind of uh, cuts out the stress of you know, figuring out if you're gonna get a car or not.
24: Absolutely. And also we're giving away credit tips at the same time, you know, okay. build your credit up. So the next time you get yourself a brand new car, instead of coming through what you can get yourself a brand new car, if you know what I mean. So it, right. it's, it's lower it's, it's, rate it's and everything awesome, like that. Awesome, right? It is
22: right, right, right. Uh hold, hold that. So we have Ashley on with us. Hey Ashley, how are you? Hi. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your experience. Um with with steve and how did you hear about steve and how did that all how did that all turn out um uh,
25: my parents actually saw an advertisement on the jeff brown show and i was um in a car that needed a lot of work pretty much an emergency situation where i needed a car uh, because i worked so much and so i called the phone number on the ad he told me this: what information I needed to send. Sent the information on a Friday evening after hours. He, um, I told him my story. He told me he understood that it was urgent. Don't worry. He uh, processed my application, and Monday morning I had a car.
22: Wow! <laughs> so, Absolutely. in other words, in other words, you submit the application, and forty-eight hours later, you're driving.
25: Yes, and I think it was only 48 hours because it was the weekend. I'm sure the way he worked, it would have been quicker than that.
22: Wow, incredible. So let me ask you a question. The vehicle that you have uh, is driving well? Oh, my
25: is- vehicle is awesome. It's awesome. Wow,
22: Wow. okay. Well, now, what kind of vehicle did you get? I got a Chevy Tahoe. Nice, Okay. Leather seats, the whole works, the whole nine. The leather
25: seats, the TV for the kids. Yeah, TV. Yeah, TV. You got TV in your car Steve? I sure yeah.
22: do. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is That's so awesome. dope. Okay, so now, um, I know we got to go to break real quick. Um, I'm gonna come back, uh, after break, and then Ashley, I want you to encourage some people who might need a car, who might, um, m- maybe kind of scared or maybe hesitant you know but i think what happens is when someone encourages others then the message actually absolutely spreads you know what i mean so listen we're gonna take a quick break i gotta go pay some bills dario we gotta go pay some bills we'll be right back with more of the jeff brown show go subscribe right now we'll be right back
21: To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in.
9: This is the Jeff Brown Show.
21: And we're back, we're back on with my
22: man, Steve Holman, and my friend, Ashley, my new friend, uh, who's actually a a client of uh, Mr. Holman. Mr. Holman um, is a black-owned business right here. In the city of Cleveland, Ohio, his uh, dealership is located in Bedford, Ohio, uh, called Smart Drive USA. He also has another business called Drive My Vehicle. We're going to get into a little bit of that, too, Steve, um, right after uh, we, we complete and have our conversation with Ashley. Ashley, what would you say to someone who's hesitant, maybe think something, you know, because sometimes people, you, 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 you tell them something, you share a resource, but sometimes they're hesitant because they think it's too good to be true. What would you say to the listener right now who's listening and who might be in a place where they actually need a car? What would you say to them
25: right now? I would say that although I've been in your position, I'm very hesitant. This company is is so amazing um, and he makes you feel so comfortable. He's not setting you up for failure you should go for it. I have been bragging for the past week to anybody who will listen and passing out the same screenshot that my parents sent to me for them to contact Steve because it's worth it.
24: Thank you.
25: Wow.
22: Well, listen, there you have it. Ashley, we thank you for uh, thank you for, for, for joining us today. Thank you for your testimonial. Hey Steve, I want you to stick around because I want to talk about driving my vehicle right now. Okay, no problem. Ashley, listen, I want you to have a blessed day. Do what thank you do you. and thank you again. Um, Bye. And, and special shout out to your mom you and dad essence. as well. Tell them I said hello. Yes.
0: Okay, thank you. All
22: right, thanks some blessings. Mm-hmm. Steve, man, listen, we gotta my talk man. about, we're talking about. We talking about cars today, man. We talking about black business owners, man. And I, I want to applaud you, man, personally from the bottom of my heart cuz I know your story and um and you know the journey. You know, we okay. have a, we we share that journey, brother, you know, you in too. a lot of ways. And um I just want to applaud you. I want you to talk about Drive My Vehicle, man, and how that was birthed because hey, Darvio, listen to, listen to Drive My Vehicle, man. The concept that's actually working. I think you've done over what, 300 drives so far? Absolutely. Over 300 drives in Cuyahoga County. Talk to me about
24: that. So check this out. Back in 2018 of November, I needed to take my driver's test. The reason why, it doesn't matter. I need to take it. So I called family members, mother, brothers, sisters. They were all busy. Couldn't help me. And it's not their problem. It was my problem, right? So I finally got my niece to let me use her Z4 BMW convertible to take the driver's test. She picked me up, she took me to the station, let me use her car, I passed. And when I passed, standing in line get my driver's license, I said, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I looked around and saw these people with their family members, their brothers, their cousins, the grandmother with the granddaughters. It looked too obvious that there was not a commercial entity, entity in this place. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna start me a rental car agency that rents to people with no driver's license. Now, how the heck can you do that, right? No driver's license, renting a car? Well, how I do it is you have a licensed driver company with a smart car. Hey, Jeff, give me a second, grab the smart car for me. Let me show you exactly what this car looks like. For those who don't know what the smart car looks like, right quick, give me a second. Y'all wanna show you guys something here, the car. Y'all. y'all ever seen this car on the road? Absolutely. This mm-hmm. is a smart car right here, folks. For $49, you can go online to my website and order a car to take your driver's test with a licensed driver. And what we do is we pull up half an hour before time, we talk to you about the vehicle, we go over all the mechanisms of the vehicle and tell you what to expect, and we hand you the key as your licensed driver and you take the driver's test. Now let me tell you, out of 320 people, I wanna say less than 1% fail, less than 1%. And I can't even remember those people who fail. A lot of times, man, you can go out there and take that test with this car and whip all the way through because it's so small. And a lot of folks, mothers and fathers have these SUVs. You know, They have these SUVs where they're too big to take the driver's test, okay? And you're scared, it's too big. So this is the car you guys use to take the driver's test. It's easy. It's going across the United States, you guys. It's going to be part of every BMV. You can just walk in and schedule a driver's test. You don't have to have a licensed driver with you at all. We'll show up with our ID and uh, and be your
22: licensed driver for sure. So that's just part of the story, there, guys. Wow, yeah, that's dope. That's dope, Steve. And and yeah. and, and now um, the the business itself is uh, steadily growing. It is, it is. So we actually do a practice test. So if you know how to do the maneuverability,
24: you can pay a little extra to show up like a half an hour before we got cones. we have cones in the vehicle
22: where you can practice the maneuverability. Hey Steve, your 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 mic went out a little bit. Say that again. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yeah, there we I go. Say, I said we have cones
24: available also, the orange cones. Okay. We were you able to practice before your driver's test. And it helps out a whole lot. Right, the maneuverability. The maneuverability. Absolutely. Wow. So we're we only, we only here in Cuyahoga County right now, but we're going to be coming across the United States, everybody. So stay tuned in and uh, we're going to do some crowdfunding and get this thing because we know that it's needed across the United States. Every individual house does not have a car to take your test. And, and even people that's coming home from prison, they need it. Oh, absolutely. I just served, I don't know how many people home from, came home from prison because yeah. the family members maybe have passed away you know, or they're in another state, and they don't know anybody. I mean, how can you use your friend's car when you don't have a friend? Mm. But you know what? Using Drive My Vehicle will give you employment with Amazon, UPS. Something happened to your camera, Jeff. UPS I'm here. and things of that sort. And uh, it, it employs a lot of people having a driver's license. It helps the community. Right.
22: right. So, So with that said, man, Say some words of encouragement to someone, man, you know, that might be going through something today. Steve, one thing I love about you, brother, you're positive. You always keep the faith. You are, regardless of whatever you've been through in your life, man. Drop some words of encouragement and also drop um, your social media handle so people can connect with you, follow you, and, and touch base with you, man.
24: Okay, so real quick, my social media handle at, at IG is DMV Test Now. That's DMV tests now and all, and, all, and all you guys out there who are not encouraged by taking your driver's test or even wondering, can I get approved for a vehicle? I tell you what, mark my word, these people are lending money. They will give you a car. You know what, most of these cars come with GPS so pretty much they know where you are. It's not like it used to be. You can have the car it come with $500 down, your most recent pay stub, or utility bill. You have yourself a nice vehicle and also will drive my vehicle. Those folks who are scared to take the maneuverability test, don't be anymore. Go to my page at IG DMV Test Now and look at all the testimonies, okay? And keep your head up. I'll be there for you.
22: There you have it, man. Listen, hey, Darvio, do you need to take the driver's test?
23: <laughs> no, but if I did, I'd call him. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, My man.
22: <laughs> hey, listen, we'll be right back before the Jeff Brown Show. Make sure you guys go subscribe. Right now on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast on your favorite listening device. I'm so glad if I ever need a driver's test, I'm calling drive your vehicle because I'm gonna use the smart drug, I'm gonna use the smart car on this one. But listen, we'll be right back with more of the Jeff Brown Show. My man Steve Holman in the building, hanging out. Yes, yeah. right now
3: hey randy what you doing oh hey dave i'm just making a list
20: of
18: things that make me feel really really good wearing bombas socks trust me that's number one on my list Bombas socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks
12: ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless
20: shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchase, and that feels pretty good too.
17: To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com
21: slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts...
24: This is the Jeff Brown Show. All
21: right, all right. We're back, we're back. That was a dope interview, man.
22: So, you know, we want to continue to support our local business owners. Uh, Make sure you guys also call Steve at 800-891-3997 if you're in need of a vehicle. Listen, the man is helping people rebuild their credit. As you heard from Ashley, listen, earlier on, on what happened um, and her experience. Listen, there are plenty of people that he's helping. She was just one of the people that uh, she just was willing to come on and talk, you know, sometimes, and that's cool. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, we appreciate, uh, her doing that, but, uh, big shout out to my man, Steve for helping people. And, um, that's dope, but, um, I want to get to some more hot topics today. Uh, I want to also congratulate, uh, Rihanna and ASAP Rocky, uh, yeah. expecting their first child together. I want to salute ASAP Rocky.
23: Did you know they was together? I didn't even know they was together. Yeah, I knew it was
22: together. Yeah, yeah, I do. But he is the first to lay the golden egg. <laughs> oh
9: Lord!
22: <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I'm just saying, man. I mean, he laid the he laid the billion dollar egg, bro. <laughs> billion. Yeah, Rihanna,
23: just, Rihanna, the truth, man. She's
22: the truth, listen,
23: bro. Man, listen, you no, know we
22: you know how many times I've dreamed about Rihanna man Just <laughs> every time i thought about Rihanna man and this guy he not only dates her is with her now they're expecting their first child together big shout out to them um and to imagine her being a mother I think she's going to be a phenomenal mother I think she's going to do great um we know the child uh um uh, wants to know it I mean, uh when you think about uh her life and everything she's accomplished. I'm sorry I kind of lost my train of thought because somebody came, you know, with this virtual this virtual stuff, man. You know, you put your phone on do not disturb and people still get through. I don't understand. Apple <laughs> right. need to fix that. But anyway, <laughs> what I was saying is the baby I think baby's gonna be fine, well taken care of. Um, I think Rihanna's gonna do a phenomenal job as a mother. And um I just hope that you know, ASAP Rocky uh, do what he's supposed to do, and um, make sure that you know he he continue to you know do the right thing with uh, Rihanna. And because um, you know, sometimes I'm not saying that this is the case. You know, when you get with a Rihanna type woman, billionaire, independent, yeah. then you know, you know, you can have hidden motives and a hidden agenda. And now, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes, what women have done to have a hidden agenda with men that are well off. You know, there are some men that do that with me, women that are well off.
23: You know what I'm saying? So let me ask you. So let me ask you. If you were to get Rihanna pregnant and y'all later on, God forbid, break up, would you want child support? Yes. Absolutely.
22: Cash me out. (laughs) <laughs> you <did not> have- <laughs> Cash me out. Be a damn fool to say no. Really? Oh, I can get this? Really?
9: <laughs>
22: I'm terrible, man. I know I am. But it's real. <laughs> yeah, cash me out. Yeah, go and cash me out. <laughs> me
9: out!
23: <laughs> <laughs> oh man!
22: Yeah, man. you. I mean, you wouldn't.
23: Uh, man, that would be hard, man. Like, how do? you uh, Well, I guess in that situation, man. You said? Did you yeah, say? I was do about you... to say no, because I was about to say, how do you t- say that to your boys? But I guess your boys would understand in that situation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, women, women tagging these
22: men yeah then, okay I all mean, the time vice versa you know listen, see here's the problem. it's bad because women feel that a man shouldn't even want child support right, right. but guess right. what in most cases it it does work out that way, and the more likely if 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 she was on the same level financially as me, I wouldn't do it but since but since you know you're a billionaire, <laughs> I, can, I can use I can use that money to help build it some more legacy for our child. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we you know, I'm gonna invest the money. You know, we're gonna <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's gonna be well spent, trust me. And I'm gonna always <laughs> tell the world that you did it. You know, appreciate your contribution. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, but listen. On a side note, man, uh, you know, as we this is we're covering a day of hot topics. Whoopi Goldberg, the legendary actress, <laughs> actress Whoopi Goldberg, and moderator for uh, the uh, highly acclaimed talk show, The View, uh, issues an apology. Uh, she made a comment um, based on uh, what was happening in Tennessee, where uh, Tennessee uh, banned, uh, I, I think, the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, let me make sure I say this right
23: because I don't want to get there's it wrong. There's attempt. I don't think they did it. Did, there, did they do attempt it? Okay. Attempt. There, there's a there's to, an attempt to, 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 to 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 ban. I think it was a something with Black History. Some no no the Jewish called the
22: Jew, the Jewish the Jewish uh, Holocaust with, with the the Holocaust. It was it's it was so, about,
23: it's so much stuff coming
22: up down there. But yeah, uh, but you <laughs> so understand? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so whatever happened. And, um, and I, I want to make sure I get this right,
23: Darby, because I don't want to yeah.
22: I want our listeners to, yeah, Whoopi, I made, listen to
23: Whoopi made a really she, stupid comment on, on The View.
22: Yeah, um, yeah.
23: She said that the Holocaust was not, because I guess I guess they were comparing uh, you know, like what we have went through and, and right. all that black like people and all that. And she said right. the Holocaust was not based on race. Yeah, Whoopi, yeah.
22: Yeah, she said yeah, it was not based on race. She said that and what happened was um, Tennessee, the Tennessee School District recently uh, recent banning of Art Spiegelman's Pulitzer uh Pulitzer uh prize winning graphic novel about the Holocaust.
0: Um, okay, that's year, okay. Yeah, so
22: so right. um so they they banned the novel from you mm-hmm. know from their educational system. And Whoopi says, hey, well the Holocaust was not about a race. Yes. Uh,
23: stupid. Stupid comment. You know better. I mean, if you go and just from a historical perspective, clearly, yeah, like Hitler believed the Jews were a different race. That's why he did what he did. It was hatred of them as a race. Correct. You know, hatred of the Jews as a race. So that was just a really, really stupid thing for her to say. Yeah, I just, uh, you know,
22: you know, and I'm not making no excuse for her, but. I I guess when you look at it from this side of the experience, when it comes to black people, you know, because we have always gotten, you know, the the end of the stick, you know, as it relates to our culture, you know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying that was her thought process. I don't know. I'm just trying to, what I say, uh, I'm just trying to look at it from all angles in the perspective, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you can't say, you know, this wasn't about race. I mean it, it it clearly it was, it, it was clearly yeah which is why rather about- her said I would have rather her said you know what um you know you know maybe had even made um some type of reference to slavery you know as a relates of blacks or something you know in that statement I don't know um but right. the reality well, is is that you know it's it's it's, the- it's,
23: it's it's just well, a sticky situation. Yeah, well, part of the issue, man, that we have to realize, too, because us as Black people, we've been through a lot, you know, historically and throughout the years. But I think sometimes we act like we're the only ones that's ever been through stuff. Like, if you go and look at what the Jews have went through, the Jews have been through a lot, too. And so to kind of discount that, I thought is was was a bad move on her part. I don't like to do the whole I don't like to compare pain versus pain. I don't like to compare Mm. trauma versus trauma because I don't think it's I don't think it helps anybody. You know what I mean? It doesn't help anybody to say, oh, my trauma is worse than your trauma. Like, that doesn't who does that help? You know what I mean? We got to be real careful about, you know, comparing one to the other because whatever one group went went through, you know what I mean? Like that, their trauma is their trauma. Our trauma is our trauma. So I don't even understand what she meant like what she meant to say yeah i was I, i'm trying, was trying to, to make yeah
22: yeah i was trying You because I, I mean when you look at it I, I i'm thinking that she was maybe more so speaking from the standpoint of being black having a history of what blacks have went through because um even tragedy is tragedy but when right. it comes to particular race, you know, a person that's a Jew would say, "Well, we went through this worse than blacks." A black person would say, "Hell no, blacks went worse, had a worse." And experience. that's what.
23: And, and that's the point I'm. And that's the point yeah. I'm making. I don't yeah. think anybody should do that because right. how how can we compare pain to pain? How can I say that, like whatever pain you went through? Oh no, it ain't nothing compared to what I went. How can I how right. can I say that because I don't have your feelings, I don't have your emotions, I don't have you know right. what I mean. I don't know what right. trauma. You went through. Yeah. So I don't I, I think you always get into trouble right. when you start trying to compare pain to pain and and, and trauma to trauma. I just think it's a bad, right. it's a bad look. Just stay away. Yeah. Stay away from that. <laughs> yeah.
22: Yeah. And I just would encourage people. Listen, you know, uh, I applaud Whoopi for coming out to apologize. Apologize. You yes, know, because you know, that's that's just that's just huge. And also, um, I would say, take this as a learning experience, everyone. Everybody has a different walk of life. Everybody has a different perspective. The way we grow together, the way we get better together, is that we respect each other's um, uh, way of life, way of thinking. And then, you know, it's okay uh, to, dis, uh, to 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 uh, disagree but not be disagreeable. So, listen, we'll be right back with more of the Jeff Brown Show. Man, this has been a great show. We'll be right back
0: at kroger we
17: believe in higher standards for fresh so we do up to a 27 point inspection on our produce like for oranges we check for scarring and sunburn allowing only the best produce to reach our shelves because when it comes to fresh for everyone we believe the
15: juice is worth the squeeze kroger fresh for everyone get more ways to save at the buy five or more save one dollar each sale just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card kroger fresh for everyone
21: Noom Weight uses psychology to help people everywhere learn about their eating habits. Eating is my love language? Yep, sure is. Ah, I say yes to seconds out of guilt. It's hard to say no to Aunt Jenny's banana pudding.
24: Wait, I do what?
21: Oh, fog eating happens to everybody. What the? We know. It can be a lot to take in. But with the help of Noom Weight, you'll learn the psychology behind your eating habits, how to change them, and get closer to reaching your weight loss goals. Sign up at Noom.com.
14: This is the Jeff Brown Show. And we're
22: back. We're back. Hey, man, this has been a day of hot topics. And uh, I'm telling you, man, we've had great interviews today. We've had great hot topics, great discussion. Um, also want to thank everybody. Continue your support to listen in and tune in. Make sure you guys go right now. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the Jeff Brown Show. Share with your friends. Share with your family. All you got to do is download the iHeartRadio app on your phone, whether you have Apple or androids, whatever it is, and just go subscribe to the show, The Jeff Brown Show, The Jeff Brown Show on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts, and just subscribe and you'll get all of our latest shows, and uh, it's all good. So listen, here's what I want to talk about. Uh, Our final topic of the day for Hot Topics, man, Uh, you know, even in the pandemic, people will do (laughs) any damn thing to make some money okay <laughs> and the reality is, is that two nurses out of NYC were indicted with fe- by federal by the federal government here recently for making 1.5 million dollars in selling oh fake vaccination cards
23: damn that's how
22: much money is in the- <laughs> oh it's my it. goodness hell damn. yeah I'm not gonna make it, but uh. Hell it was tempting. no!
23: I ain't trying Is to go
22: it? to jail. It, it was tempting when I heard it, the gross. I'm like, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> like, damn, they're going. Oh damn, you gotta go to jail on that, now. Nah. <laughs> <It's, laughs>
23: ain't nobody <laughs> trying to go <laughs>
22: to jail for a bit. Like <laughs> yeah. damn, 1.5 million. million. But you gotta remember, wait, you gotta remember about a year or so ago when the vaccine when a couple years ago. Remember when they when they first start doing the vaccination, right? About a year or so ago, right? Remember, right. there was a there was a uh there was a son and father, uh, I believe out of Hawaii that started doing that too. And they got knocked. You know, I think they had made like $20,000, though. Man, these women, listen, people, stop doing stupid stuff. Okay. <laughs> Just if you don't want to be vaccinated, don't be vaccinated. Just stay home. But if you're gonna get vaccinated, if you wanna live this, if you wanna live and enjoy entertainment and try to. Get to some type of normalcy. Listen, go get vaccinated and stop risking your freedom and your life and the people around you like doing stupid stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody is entitled to doing what they want to do. Everybody's entitled to doing whatever they need to do. Um, seek medical, uh, your, your, uh, seek your medical professions, professional for uh, advice on how to deal with the vaccinations. Do your research, whatever it is. But, damn, please do not be out here slinging <laughs> vaccination cards. Y'all slinging a vaccination card like I
23: wanna,
22: <laughs> I wonder, is the time that they're going to get equivalent to drug dealing time? Oh, that's a good
23: question.
22: I don't know.
23: I wonder. Because you slinging vaccination card, you like slinging crack. Come on, man. <laughs> well, and you're talking about the feds, man. The feds don't play, so.
22: Yeah, hey, man, you threw your whole life away from the fake. But here's the other part of this, and I know we're wrapping up, so I want to get into what did we learn today. But you know what Darby, you know what I want to do? You know what I want to know is um, I wonder did they save any of the money. You know, some people get the money and they don't. they don't even save
23: it. You know good and damn well they ain't saying that money. <laughs> and say, and any, any, any money they did say, and any any money they did save is about to get ate up by the by the lawyers and the court costs. Man, they probably they probably turned it all that money.
22: That's crazy, man. That's 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 wild, man. But so all of that for people, nothing. All of that for nothing for for a moment of pleasure.
23: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They
22: say that they say the love of money is the root of all evil. Yep, and selling vaccination cards is too, (laughs) so (laughs) So. (laughs) yeah, man. So, uh, Darby, what did you learn today? We cut that part of the show, man. When we talk about what we learned today, man, how do we wrap this
23: day up? (laughs) I learned that you shouldn't be out here bootlegging vaccination cards. That is a good lesson to learn, and I also.
22: and i and i and i also learned today that you can get a, 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 a rental car so you can take your driver's test so if any of you guys out here people out here that need a driver's uh, a car to take your driver's test go ahead and take your driver's test call my man Steve at Smart Drive USA um, drive my vehicle and rent you a car and um the other thing i learned today is that I'm glad I got vaccinated because I'm not gonna sling no fake vaccination cards around <laughs> the United <laughs> States. Because I I've been down that. Hey, listen, I've been to jail, so I know how that feels. I don't right, want to go back. back. <laughs> oh hell no, nah. no, nah, I ain't gonna do that, man. Listen, hey y'all, this has been another exciting episode of the Jeff Brown Show. Stay out of jail, stay out of prison. Don't buy no fake vaccination cards, okay? <laughs> just don't get vaccinated. You don't even need- stay in the house. Listen, just. <laughs> Stay out of trouble, okay? (laughs) Listen, (laughs) hey, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing in the world you can do about it. Till next time, this has been another exciting episode of The Jeff Brown Show!
21: The FCB Radio Network. First class broadcasting worldwide. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in.